OTB Rugby. And that's why those of us that aren't cynicals but understand the workings, see the world rankings as they currently are, as very fallible and very loose. Subscribe to the Rugby Stream on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM. The Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball. Half past seven on this Thursday morning's OTBM, the sports breakfast show from Off the Ball, with you live until 10 o'clock this morning. Loads to come between now and 10 o'clock. We've got Kathleen McNamee on the way at around 7.45. Live again from Brisbane, one week out from the start of the World Cup down under. Can't wait for that. Eight o'clock, a bit of a treat. Preview of the uh, Dublin Monaghan All-Ireland semi-final. This <laughs> no bias, Shane. No, no bias. Uh, Paul Finley, a hero of mine growing up, I have to say, in Monaghan. And J.O. J. Sherlock as well to give the Dublin side ahead of that game. I, know, I, just, I just love that. Dublin Paul side. Finley, a hero of mine growing up and then Jason Sherlock. Let's get it out there. Like. Is that bias? Uh, Alan Quinlan will be on the way as well at 8.25 to look ahead to the uh, World of the 20 Championship final uh, between Ireland and France tomorrow evening with the Sports News at 8.45 or so. And Eric Lawler, the comedian, his, you had to be there. Uh, on the way around 8.55, 9 o'clock as well. Uh, so a load of great picks from him. Darren O'Sullivan and Colin Boyle, by the way, from last night's show, uh, writing off Monaghan's chances against Dublin uh, this weekend. They'll be on, on the way from half past nine. Similar to Colin O'Rourke, by the way. Dublin v Kerry final is inevitable. I don't want to talk about that because I don't want to get annoyed on a Thursday morning, but Colin Boohey, good morning. Hi, how are you? And Johnny Ward, good morning. Good morning, Shane. How are things? Are we keeping? Well... What you do? Uh, I know. I, I saw you like. You're going to ask me. You, you want to know if I've seen the Wham documentary? I can't believe. You. I still haven't watched I can't it. Believe you. Do you know? Do you know what happened? Sorry, can I tell you? I went on Today FM yesterday afternoon to talk about Wimbledon. That oh, was right. the invite, like to talk about Wimbledon. And you ended up. Let me guess. And not alone that, Ray Foley was like, "Oh, Club Trap Canada is an amazing song," and played the whole thing. Right. Right. Fair enough. But if you listen to that song, it starts very slowly for the first sixty seconds. It's a guy How getting out of a car. It's a guy oh. getting out of a car. It's not even musical, right. and then the bass starts. Right. So that took over, and then people started commenting in, being like, "Yeah, it's amazing." Same that as the Bridges chat the other day. We and Brian Wise, huge fan of the show, Corkman who lives in Toronto, watched sure. Wham. Brian doesn't even like music. Oh, right. Oh, I've no doubt. I, I've no doubt. I love the documentary when I watch it. It's just that I, I haven't had time this week to watch it, but I but I will watch it. Do you know? Why didn't you give me some um, advance warning about the Wham chat? Like, did, uh, this is, did you watch it? No. Ah, come on. I didn't even know it existed. Johnny, this is Thursday, right? So the fourth day of the week, I get given out to by producer Cullum here if I have a tangent of of twenty seconds on something random, right? It's the fourth morning in a row that he's brought up this Wham documentary. Oh, uh, and some mornings it was. Borderline seven eight minutes of conversation. <laughs> it's, 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 taken, it's taken over Netflix. You'll love. You will love. You will love the Wham documentary. Uh, comment in here from Rory Darmer. Uh, Paul Finley did my garden in Monaghan. Fun fact. That's Tommy. Tommy Freeman did my uh, attic in Monaghan. So like Monaghan legends. That's why they're all. It's all intertwined. Like it's all intertwined. Paul Finney is some footballer now. In fairness, oh, I am looking forward to that. Fantastic. And your man Sherlock. What you did man. send me um, a great clip during the week about uh, an Irish guy in the sixties. I mean, I, I'm gonna. I've sent that around the Did WhatsApp circuit yeah. and there's it's been a great reaction. I've seen this one. Um, I can't believe I never sent it to him. Yeah, and there's a documentary there. There's a documentary there, but I mean, that's... Fill people in so we don't want to be too vague for people who haven't seen it. What are we talking about here? David Attenborough meets this guy who basically lives in the wild, um... But there's a backstory. It's like, how did he end up out here? So he's living in the wild in what was an old kind of abandoned town almost. In, in Australia. In, in Australia. Yeah, yeah. Northern Territory. He's, he's, he's clearly an Irish accent, but like, it's kind of hard to know where he's from in Ireland. Turns out he's from Kerry because Colin did a bit of research. Yeah. But he comes out with these um, 
unbelievably like profound, uh, profound mm-hmm. and kind of like erudite lines about life and um, just living on his own and David Atten was like well, what, you've no money you've no and he goes what would I need money for you know I'm, I'm happy like I, I always want to see what's over the next hill Yeah, I thought that was a lovely line and in, in the sense of because I mean half of my um, WhatsApp chats now seem to be on about the climate but I think we were talking about the climate and you sent that back to me and it was like this man knew in the 60s how to live Yeah, and we didn't need to live this mad uh, life of just the guy who was asked about um, are you lonely and he was talking about yes. the books yeah, yeah. W- w- Watts, and he was like, I read a medical book, if you- and I thought I had every disease under the sun. Mm. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and he was a part-time prospector looking for gold and whatnot. Mm. Yeah. And then Dave Amber said, "Well, if you find that you become really, really wealthy, like, wouldn't you be delighted?" Yeah. And he said, "No, no, it's not about that. I'm prospecting for contentment." What do you type in on YouTube for people who are unfamiliar? What, did you have, what would you type Dave in? Dave Attenborough, 1963, Jack Mulholland. So right. Jack Mulholland. Um, yeah. Also, uh, Attenborough was a dish. Like what a handsome, mm. handsome. He was handsome, a handsome and, geezer. I mean, beautiful. Yeah. Like he was. Yeah. He really was. Yeah. Well, this is. It's so weird seeing a young David Attenborough and a good interviewer because normally really he's good interviewing interviewer. animals. Like, exactly. That's so you know, true. That's a really um, underrated takeaway from mm. the video is that he's a brilliant interviewer. He is. Do, you know, do you know what I took away from it as well? There's only like one species in the world that recognizes money, right? The rest are getting on fine without money. They don't even know what it is. This lad was getting on fine without money as a human. Um, but but <laughs> there was a backstory as well. So that, without giving it away, I think Colin's going to do a documentary on Jack Mulholland. I think it's so fascinating. It's, it's mad. Honest to God, how he ended up there. Presumably it's, he's long gone. Man. Jack Mulholland. Yeah, yeah, like he's about probably in his fifties in that video. And that's but right. Attenborough, like Attenborough, isn't. And this is yeah, a mad yeah, thing. Yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Have his autograph, David Attenborough. Like yeah, it's it's framed on the on the uh, it's in my bedroom at home in Monaghan and it's framed it's on the on the desktop. David Attenborough, the geezer that was on the moon. Um, yeah, Buzz all, all all them. Yeah, he, Paul he, Finley. Paul Finley. Yeah. I actually do, did have a jersey signed with Paul Finley back in the day. Still have it. I uh, probably do still have it. Mm. There was he Paul Finley provided the one with Anthony Moyles and we'll bring this up with Paul today. Two thousand and five Division Two National League final. Me, they're two points up. Ref, is, ref tells Paul Finley, who's 30, 35 metres out from goal with the ball in his hand, this is the last kick of the game. And he's like, we're, we're two points down. So Paul Finley, nonchalantly, lovely left boot, drops the ball into the square, thinking, right, someone just try and knock it in. Mark Ward, the media defender, and Monaghan fans will know exactly what I'm talking about here. Uh, Banty was the Monaghan manager, and Sean Boylan was the media manager. And Mark Ward, sorry Mark, but he tries to fist the ball over the bar so that it's only a point and Meath win by a point because they all know this is the last kick. But he pu- directly punches it into his own goal. I kind of vaguely remember this. Oh, Bringing the ward name into vain as well. Pandemonium. The ward name into vain. Mm. But uh, Monaghan had a civic reception. This was before Monaghan had any sort of success, really, uh, of this this era, obviously, in the 80s. The 80s, they had plenty of success, but lots Division of, 2 title. Lots of tangents, but that does remind me of like the best like last-ditch goal I've ever seen in Gaelic football, which was against uh, the man's county beside me, Declan Meehan against Cork. Oh. And it was it was the ultimate tragedy of Declan Meehan's inter-county career that that was the last kick of the game. It wasn't enough for Galway. He never won North Ireland with Galway, yeah. despite the unbelievable talent of the man and the family. Um, but that goal, and I remember like they, like they had about twenty people on the line. Oh, I'm amazing. exaggerating, obviously, but he still found a way to upper right corner. And I was like, how did how is this not like to clinch a game like like that? So they, were, they must have been four points down. They were four they? down, and the ref blew it up yeah. after. Um, it, one of the best players to ever win in All Ireland. Oh, like he was. Conor McManus is obviously in the conversation. Yeah, big yeah time. in fairness, like in fairness, absolutely. Um, he was the. I know Joe Canning was on with, um, or Ollie Canning rather was on with uh, John Duggan recently. Mm. Ollie and Declan Meehan were our the Galway for me anyway. The two greats that didn't win all Ireland. Michael Meehan. 
Um, Michael, Me- sorry, Michael Meehan and Ollie Cannon yeah, were yeah, the two yeah, greats. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm sure Michael. Um, I met him recently. He's doing a little bit of underage coaching at home with, right. his, with his daughter, and he's he's um, he did all right with Calter as well. So I think he's happy out. Ah, oh, Jesus, yeah. There's there's a some list of players that never won one, isn't there? Like the Dermot Early was Dermot Early senior. They never won. Yeah, one he as wouldn't well. have won all Ireland because yeah. Roscommon haven't won since what the forties or yeah, something. Yeah, they got to the final in nineteen eighty. Was it certainly the early eighties? Um, they were they were comfortably up against Kerry and kind of blew it. it. Um, yeah, he was he was a great footballer, and then um, I'm sure it's actually that'd be a good thing to get people going. It's one of the best player never to win all Ireland. Yeah, um, I'm obviously going to lie in the Conor McManus camp here, but mm. there are a lot of names there that you'd be like, Jesus. Conor McManus has a chance, though. This is the thing. Still a chance this year. This thing. Not Saturday. hard to call him O'Rourke. No, not according to most of the papers yeah. this morning. Well, speaking Bowie. of, uh, there's a chance. Mm. Pats' goal last night, 94th minute. <sighs> Mark Doyle. What? In the back of the papers there. Uh, if you can see it. Uh, Doyle keeps Saints alive. Mark Doyle celebrates after scoring some Pats' injury time goal there. 2 1 defeat to F91 Diddling in the first leg of their Europa Conference League. First qualifying round. Too. This is in, uh, in Luxembourg last night. I'm not sure if the photographer is referenced there. I, I don't know. I know the odd photographer. Jerry, Jerry Schmidt from Sports Jerry Schmidt. So the, I, I'm sure um, photographers at times. They probably get annoyed that their photos don't get great recognition. Mm. There was a photo from Pats and Cork the other night. I was at that game and um, it was uh, Tunde uh, Olabi being manhandled by Sam Curtis, who's 17, like literally had his hand on his throat. It was, but it wasn't even free. It was just one of these physical moments in the game. Amazing photo. But that photo makes it look like it was in a proper stadium because this was in a really little, tiny little ground in Luxembourg, effectively up on a hill. Yeah. And it was a, just such a massive moment, I think, um, for Mark Doyle and also for John Daly because John Daly made four substitutions I'm just looking 70 minutes he brought on two players he brought on Jason McClelland on 81 Owen Doyle was the marquee signing that Mm. Pats made um, a couple of years ago and Mark Doyle his namesake sort of came in around the same time a little bit unheralded but he's done very well and this goal I think Shane could be massive because like I was I watched it in Inchcore and Rascals Brewery I might as well mention this sponsor our League of Ireland podcast it was lovely to go up with Pats fans and watch it on the big screen Mm. is that that okay just I (laughs) want to put it out there that like I'm not he's done it now anyway so um, craft beer and all that is is great um, but watch this anyway there other craft beers are available so they put on the big screen um, and people had sort of stopped almost like giving up on the game a bit yeah. and, and tuning it down he gets this goal last kick and it almost changed the whole League of Ireland and Europe narrative because I was at Tallow the other night Sharmac Rovers were so poor like, yeah. I, I was bitterly disappointed with them and I know they'd like they, they, essentially they played 3-5-2 with two wing-backs who had no pace or two wing-backs are injured mm. but they were so one-dimensional from, get, from the get-go against Icelandic opposition that are okay but they really should be beaten in my view and if Pats had lost 2-0 last night against team, a, 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 another team that they were expected to beat this is disappointing but Mark Doyle's goal completely changes the narrative and now we have um, Derry and Dundalk in action this evening So progression will guarantee €550,000 in UEFA prize money so this could be a huge goal like 350 Pats fans I'm reading here, travel through London and Brussels to this small mm. Luxembourgish suburb. Uh, so that, that'll be a huge game. And look, if they can return them back to Dublin and get a win in that game, and half a million is not to be sniffed at for the League of Ireland. No, no, it's it's huge. And, um, you know, Pats went on a good run in Europe last season, um, culminating that game against um, Sofia in Tala, where they were really unlucky and beat them away, which was a brilliant, brilliant achievement. And it's all about momentum as well, Shane. Like, this this was not a good Pats performance, really. They they were lucky, very, very lucky to come away with a one-goal deficit. Yeah. But it changes everything. And I kind of would fancy them to do the job in Dublin. This team is out of season, um, so it's only another week for them. Pats are in the middle of the season. They've had a lot of momentum in the league. They have good players. Um, but it really did change the, the, the way, you know, League of Ireland... Like, 
we're never that far off in Irish football from an existential crisis and I think the, all of the League of Ireland WhatsApp groups last night would have been the League of Ireland's actually crap we were over we're over egging it Rovers were rubbish they haven't scored Pats looked like they weren't going to score against Luxembourg opposition Mark Doyle changed everything I hope Yeah. Uh, some comments coming in on the YouTube keep it coming in by the way between 9 and 10 o'clock the best player to never win a, an All-Ireland Matty Ford says Joseph Comerford Kieran McDonald says Spectacore my brother yeah, my yeah. brother Dara Hannan's in Vietnam right now he's commented greatest player to never win one was Parchi Sung sorry Lee Keegan Lee Ke- I was just going to say Lee Keegan oh, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's an obvious Lee shirt. Keegan Kieran McDonald talent wise was remember that that was mad that's oh, the which, which the Park versus Lee well it was I was stand by it. it wasn't even a debate I, was, I just compared Lee to, to Parchi Sung two brilliant Lee Keegan yeah because yeah. I, said, I said they're both big never game players Ireland, like. well no but <laughs> <laughs> Well, Park didn't win in All Ireland either, but uh, both big game players, both came up like both were the uh, the man marker. So Park would have man marked Andre Pirlo and had lads in his pocket in big games. Lee Keegan, I can't believe I'm doing this again. Lee Keegan would have been the same against the Dubs. He would have had to mark, you know, the big lads. Um, One found it disrespectful to Lee Keegan's talent. Some, and some people found it disrespectful when it was intended as a compliment massively. Yeah, both very fit, both remarkable. Like by all accounts, Parchi Sung at that period was the fittest person in the United Squad, mm. and Lee Keegan by all accounts the fittest person in that Mayo team. Mm. So it was met as a compliment. So uh, people can take it whatever way they want, and they will. Much <laughs> luck. Uh, Loaded lo- messages as well, uh, Columnist. I have to say on, on Wham. Can yeah. agree? This Wham documentary is pushing the RTE scandal for the most talked about topic this week. You're not wrong there. Um, Mark Goldbridge is my favourite bridge, says Hank Schrader. Mm. Not Hank Schrader from, from Breaking Bad, I'd, I'd imagine. Um, so, someone else says, JP Wright, voice actor. You're always anti Monaghan bias, JP. Come on. More chance of Andy going back to Shawshank than Dublin not winning on Saturday. Um, no I'm not having that welcome to Monaghan FM he says tune in for all things Monaghan yeah channel 047 which is the Monaghan telephone code see what I did there Cha- 047 oh. 047 no, sorry North Monaghan telephone code 042 is for is for South Monaghan so no disrespect to South Monaghan of course as well uh, GAGO did not get consumer watchdog clearance inquiry opened as controversial online service was only approved for overseas viewers and not for Irish audiences so we had a uh, the GA Go discussion in the Oireachtas yesterday. We had the future of football discussion in the mm. in the in the Oireachtas yesterday. So sport is uh, sport sport is turning to the front pages. Yeah, I think the future of football one's an interesting one to talk about because all hands are on deck with the GA Go stuff. Basically, I mean, it was it was about um, sports broadcasting and and the future of it. But obviously, that is what dominated. Yeah. The one big takeaway is that they might consider reducing the twelve euro one off price for a GA Go match. But a season ticket is very valuable and or, sorry, good value for money. Yeah. Now, the Ian uh, on side of it, he went into the dial and was talking about funding for football in Ireland. And it's something you've been talking about for a long time when it comes to facilities. Yeah, like, in fairness to Aon, like, again, without plugging our podcast, we had him on and he was very, very good. He spoke really well. And as much as there are probably, um, you know, political points to be scored for him, I, I do think that he's very genuine in this. But it's, it's, it's weird that, like, the most participation sport in this country that's been, like, really... We, we've been absolutely immersed in football since Italian 90s since I was a kid and I can't speak for earlier than that that it feels like a second class citizen in this country for so long and I think there are a myriad of reasons for that but um, I did like Dan's line at the end where he's like um, this included Michael Lowry seizing a window to defend horse racing Danny Healy Ray wishing Kerry all the best against Derry in this weekend's All-Ireland and Matty McGrath raising John Delaney's name in the context of offering condolences on the recent death of his father Joe elite self-serving time-wasting is a feature of the political game at this level football's challenge is to capitalise on an opportunity to effectually, effectively work the back channels and it, it's, it's a good kind of summation of the rubbish of Irish politics you remember John Delaney when he was before the Rocks Committee and um, the Healy Ray um, love for him 
and at a time when football was crumbling. Mm. And it, it, it does feel that um, we're a second-class citizen. I, I do feel a sea change, though. I mean, Michal Martin was on with Joe here a few years ago, and I think that, that was the first sign where actually the League of Ireland might have some friends in power. And I think in, in, in terms of the next <coughs> election as well, with um, you know what looks like a Sinn Féin-led government, I think football is going to be in a better place. But we have a long, long way to go. Yeah, it's hard to care about everything, but a lot of politicians seem to care about so little. Yeah. And like from what I've got this week is that like there are a few who are really good at questioning and really do have clear passion for what they're mm. what they're talking about uh, and what they're debating. But so many of this, and you saw it in the RT stuff there on Tuesday too, oh, with, with, with Ryan Tuberty and Kelly. Like, is that like you don't even care about these questions you're asking? I'm talking about the deputies now. I'm not talking about Tuberty. Yeah, and they just want to be seen to be doing this. And also, I'm thinking this is this is pure pageantry mm. this is just all performative nothing's going to come for this like it's just uh, well at least we did it we were transparent about it that we asked these questions watch isn't it and I have oh, like, yeah. a huge amount of time for uh, the fact that Aon or Aaron brought this to the dial yesterday but it's very difficult like there were screen grabs of the extremely low attendance figures because it was yeah. clashing Yeah. Mm. so it's never it, it's, it's a purely it's a beautiful synopsis actually of the treatment of football in the country and that we're a football mad loving country that we don't actually treat it as such when it comes to it. In these Oireachtas uh, debates and committees, I'd, I'd have respect for the politicians who ask short questions because mm. they obviously are using up less time for the, for the answer. And also the questions that... So Tuberty obviously made, made the point in, in the RTE one. Very early on, he said, this has nothing to do with my leaving the job. And whether you believe him or not, that he said yeah. that at the start. So every politician going back and asking him that question again, yeah. it's like... He's not going to say anything different. Yeah, you can so, edit your questions and also ask one at a time. Exactly. It's just a waste of time. So, yeah. These it, it, it is a good kind of um, mirror into Irish politics at times, particularly a lot of rural politicians are like, how did you get elected? Oh. But there is a rural, there is this uh, card out there that like, it's it's us against Dublin and like, I'm going to come up with stuff like, you know, um, we're, we're abandoned and wish carried the best in the All-Ireland. Mm. One other piece, one other thing I should mention as well, which which is significant. Sinn Féin, Luke O'Reardon would have a Sinn Féin-Bowes connection, I think would, would be very helpful in terms of getting Sinn Féin on the side of the League of Ireland. Um, Sinn Féin sports spokesperson Chris Andrews followed up correctly, pointing out that a large number of football clubs cannot apply through the existing sports funding mechanisms championed by um, Thomas Byrne because they don't own their facilities and that's a big big problem so you can't you actually don't qualify because and you'll have a lot of football clubs around the country that are kind of you know they're living hand to mouth don't own their facilities and they can't apply and that's a large large minority as far as I'm aware um, and you know one other thing just when Shannon Rovers played that crowd Reykjavik the other night they have an amazing sports facility in Iceland. Like, and I was, I was, yeah. I was thinking, looking at these players, all part-time, all Icelanders, who were in a country of a population of, what, 300,000, were well able to compete with Shamrock Rovers. And an awful lot of that is down to when Iceland did well in the Euros, they pumped money, pumped all the proceeds back yeah. into facilities in Icelandic football. Didn't happen in Ireland because the FAI was, was broke. Mm, clearly bearing the fruits of that now, the Icelandic clubs versus the Irish teams, uh, certainly. Uh, at 7.49am approaching on uh, Thursday morning's OTBM, the sports breakfast show on Off The Ball. Time to uh, dial in to Brisbane, Australia, because Kathleen McNamee, host of the Koi Gig Pod, is standing by. Morning, Kathleen. Morning, guys. How are Still we? no proof you're in Brisbane. <laughs> you could be anywhere there. Uh, if I can... If you gave me two seconds, I can show you out my window if I could work out actually how to change the blurriness on the background no. of this. I won't show you my slightly dodgy uh, we, hotel. See, I, I trust you. I trust you, Kathleen. <laughs> Thankfully, Kathleen has a lot of B-roll for us too, a lot of footage of Brisbane and training, so yeah. there another, we go. Another, look at that. Look at that. There's, there's, oh, there's, wow. There we go. We think Kathleen for the We think so. Yeah, yeah. 
I tell you, I, I, will, this will, I will mention I as well. It might Kathy. be too bright, but you can see the general skyline there behind me. You can. Brisbane. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's oh, like wow. okay. the central business district. Oh, class. Um, now we're talking. Which is where I oh, am there she is. Yeah, so that, staying that at the moment. There she yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. Honourable mention to Paul Taylor of Sligo as a really good player who never won All-Ireland. Unbelievable footballer <laughs> when I was young. Well, it was just putting it out there. Just putting it out It's there. because Kathleen's on the line and Sligo came into your exactly. mind. Exactly. That that's the, that's the, the link. Well, I did love whenever I was getting set up with Jojo outside and all I could hear was Shane talking about Monaghan and I was like, God, it's been nearly <laughs> yeah. a week since I heard anything about Monaghan. Oh, yeah. Good morning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it was always going to happen. Listen, uh, Monaghan are playing a big semi-final in two days' time. It's going to... It's gonna, I'm sorry, I'm going to know you for the next Yeah, I'm going to have to find somewhere to see if anywhere will show it out here. Might actually I think get it'll be okay. GA go. A few Irish, yeah, a few Irish <laughs> bars in Brisbane show the two matches I'd this say, Yeah, I'd say she'll be the Tottenham mm. Cup as well. I, th- those days I have were... to say, guys, I went to watch the uh, Origin Series, the final oh, yeah. third game last night. What's, this, what's all this and about? So it's Rugby League, and it's between New South Wales and Queensland was the series. And so Queensland had won the first two, and this was basically like New South Wales had to kind of come out and show up, which they actually did. But um, I was watching it in a bar, and it was like a free-to-air channel. And so every time someone scored... So whenever they scored, it went straight to ads. And then whenever they were taking the conversion, there'd be ads before the conversions and then ads again after the conversion. And I was given off about this on Twitter because it just like totally took you out of the game. And someone was saying that the A-League here is like the soccer league. If you watch it, they actually delay taking set pieces so that they can go to an ad. So not only is it affecting the people that watch TV, it's affecting the people in the stadium as well. And I know, like, I was following a little bit of the Diego stuff yesterday um, during my jet lag sleep. Mm-hmm. And it just made me think, I was like, God, we actually, I, I know there's a lot of issues with Diego and we have things to fix there, but we actually don't realize how lucky we are in terms of our free to air TV that that's, mm-hmm. that's what it could be. And I know you can't go to the worst possible example, but no, that, Jesus, that's, it really. That's mad. Do you remember, like, in USA 94, around that time, um, the football, like, soccer as it was, there was, they were trying to, like, get it to take off in the States, watched a couple of games. And at that time, they were, like, because they're from the US, like the, the ads during the whole game were like constant, constant across the screen, like ads for this, ads for that. And I was like, is this going to change now where basically you have a massive advertising potential during live football to, to basically have loads of ads? Yeah. But I've never heard anything as extreme as that where a player is literally delayed to get an ad in. It'd be like doing an ad for, like, I don't know, craft beer in the middle of a conversation, Colin, wouldn't it? What was, si- it, what, was the, what was the craft beer? Similar. <laughs> with reference to you. Yeah. Fairness, there's, there's a connection to the parish as well, to be I understand. fair. So, uh, yeah. a good but man. it's like, you know, whenever, before, like, say, the Six Nations and stuff, before they kick off the game, they go straight to an ad break. And I always hated that because I mm. think it's really stupid. And then this game was just like, Constantly that. Yeah. Um, but actually it was, it was a very good game. New South Wales won. I was with the, ended up talking to the only New South Wales fan in the entire bar. Every bar in Brisbane was like absolutely packed out for this game. I was just trying to find a bit of food after the open training session. And I uh, got chatting to this guy. Turns out he was Mac Hansen's cousin. And I was oh, like, wow. small world. What small, small chances? world. Wow, wow. What are the chances? The, uh, the World Cup is one week out. One weekend, what? Two, three hours? Three hours. Three hours. Well, for Ireland, yeah. For Ireland, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I presume it's there's a, there's there. an opening game. Guys. No, there's Save an opening game before that. Apologies, sorry. Do you know yes. what I mean? Of course. Ireland are second. Uh, fair enough. But fair. first for us. Yeah. Most important. Uh, how, how are you feeling the week out, Kathleen? Uh, 
Yeah, good. It was quite nice today. Got to go out to um, the stadium where Ireland will play their third game. So that's the Nigeria one here in Brisbane. So we had to pick up our accreditation from there. So myself and Emma Duffy from the 42 went for a little wander around Brisbane. Kind of, it still feels a little bit like it's not happening, but I also think that's partly because the fans haven't really descended on Brisbane yet. I'm curious about tomorrow evening because France are playing Australia in their final game before the World Cup actually starts. That's in Melbourne and it's the biggest ever crowd for a game here um, until next week when we play them, of mm-hmm. course, and then that record will be absolutely smashed. But I think there's about 50,000 tickets sold. Um, it was just announced as a set out today. So I'm kind of interested to see if I do a little wander around tomorrow evening, what the atmosphere is going to be like. Um, but yeah, like team looked really good last night at the open training. I was chatting to a few players afterwards and they said, bar the jet lag, they were feeling pretty good. It was very competitive. You could see from the 11 aside that they played that Vera seems to be sticking with that same team that we saw, um, for the France game. Thought it was interesting. Uh, they kind of switched it then to five aside for a little bit. And whenever Amber Barrett wasn't playing, she was over at the other goal taking shots. And she was kind of the only player doing that that I noticed. A lot of the other players were, you know, just kind of stretching and keeping themselves warm uh, by running up and down the side where she was practicing her kicks. So, yeah, still vying for that spot on Vera's team sheet, definitely. Uh But, yeah, like... Team looked good. Uh, no injury concerns as of the moment. Katie is absolutely fine. Abby Larkin got a bit of a knock last night, but all the word from the camp today is that she was grand. They just didn't train her for the last like 20 minutes just to kind of, you know, make sure she was fine. Um, got some good advice from Denise O'Sullivan and Neve Fahey on how to beat the jet lag. So I was just like, if you guys, they're what's, apparently what's told. Ex- well, see, they have like a whole plan in place that's a, but like experts. Um, everything from they were given special sunglasses, uh, to they were like, they have their nap times and everything told to them. So someone, they just get a text being like, you have to go for a nap now and they just go for a nap. So I was kind of joking with them. I was like, can you, can I give you my number? And you just text me being like, go nap now, Kathleen. <laughs> um. I love but yeah, that. they were just talking about the and the different bits of exercise and like the timings of when they did the exercise in terms of making sure it helped you sleep. And uh, I didn't wake up at 2am last night. I only woke up at half three and I managed to get back to sleep after an hour. So maybe it was, it, maybe it helped a little bit. Yeah, I put yeah. a bit more of it into work today. So hopefully, hopefully I'll finally get a full night's sleep since being here. And does it seem that, um, there aren't any injury concerns at the moment so you just mentioned McCabe was able to play away Rita Littlejohn's taken full apart there's nobody who's kind of had to take it easy on them with the exception of Amber Barrett's doing shooting drills but that's a good thing obviously it's not to do with fitness yeah no that was literally just because there was like a certain they were like rotating who was playing at the time so she was just like one of the players that was subbed off at that stage and was just taking um the opportunity to put a few shooting drills past Grace Maloney because Courtney was on the pitch. But yeah, the, I, like I was actually quite surprised at the intensity of the game last night. Players definitely weren't, well, they were obviously holding back a certain extent, but you know, there was quite a few tackles going in. Um, they seemed to be looking really good. So they had that game against Columbia. Yeah. Well, it was tomorrow evening for me now, it'll be tomorrow morning for you guys around 8 p.m. local time. Uh, that's behind closed doors at the moment, but hopefully we'll get a few bits of information out about it just to see how everyone comes through the other side. Uh, but yeah, like 
looked as good as you could kind of expect them to look at this stage and there was a nice crowd there supporting them on as well. Presumably, um, Vera Pau is going to play everybody against Colombia at some point to get as much as possible from them and see as much as possible. Do you expect them, even from the little bit of training you've seen so far, do you expect her to alter from the set formation that she has now, uh, regardless of the personnel? For the Columbia game or yeah. for tomorrow? For, for the Columbia uh, game. Or for, yeah. for next week. Um, Just to test it out, I, I'd say she'll probably start with the same squad because realistically that's a squad that's going to start in a week's time and we've talked about it a lot on the show, the fact that there's still players coming into that team who haven't been there for all that long and they do still need that time. Like We saw glimpses of what Kira Carusa and Marissa Shiva could do when they were linking up together, but you know... They have, like, that was only her third cap. So there's still a little bit of time for those players to develop the relationship. So I definitely think from the start, it'll be the classic start in 11. But I do think it'll be a situation of rotating. Like, I think there was some sort of talk that it would be first half one side, second half different sides for both teams. Um, But I don't have that confirmed or anything. That was just something that had been talked about around the training pitch yesterday. So I think it'll be as much about giving those players the opportunity to cement those relationships on the pitch and then also giving people a run out and making sure that if we need it, touch wood, not for any injuries and let it all be tactical. Uh, if we need people to come in, that they are match fit and match ready. Just just on that, Kathleen, like she, she's quite rigid in terms of her um, team selection and so on and so forth. Like, But at tournaments like this, it's, it is a squad thing. You know, you think of goals that players have scored for Ireland in World Cups coming off the bench like does Vera have the person management in her to have um, and we spoke about this with um, the other day about like coming off the bench does she have the motivational skills in her to keep these players on the fringes motivated to come on and feel that they're part of this rather than that they're going to be on the bench for three games I get the sense with this squad that it actually wouldn't even matter all that much if Vera didn't have those skills. Like all the players are so individually motivated that I think that's actually more of a big thing at this moment in time than it is how well Vera handles it. Because if you look at like how the team has changed over the last like year, year and a half, there hasn't really been up until the last six weeks it was a, or six months it was a pretty set squad and then all of a sudden these major changes happened but also the players that left have been left out have been relatively dealt with in that if you look at say the likes of Jamie Finn that was a massive loss for the entire squad and I'd say that probably took more managing for Vera than the current squad that are there at the moment like I'll say Jamie is in the 26 she's just not in the 23 mm. um, and if you talk to some of those fringe players as well say the likes of Kira Grant I remember speaking to her after the Zambia game where she had the assist for um, Amber Barrett's goal and she was saying you know I think I did as much as I can do tonight to play my way onto the plane but also I've always been that fringe player. I've always been on the sidelines and come on when it mattered and showed up. So I think a lot of those players kind of know themselves what their role is within the team. Um, I And I think as well, the fact that this is our first World Cup, first major tournament, 
that's such a massive motivating factor for this team. If anything, I think it will probably make more of a difference going into, say, the Nations League and the Euros qualifiers later on in the year. And if Vera's contract is extended, how she manages things past then, rather than this tournament in particular, because the individual motivation is so high. We'll uh, we'll catch up again tomorrow, Kathleen. How, how does your next 24 hours look? Uh, well, I'm off now to a soiree with the Irish-Australian Embassy, oh, uh, which is being held in the Players' Hotel. So I'm not entirely sure if the players are going to be there. I assume they are. Um, it's a non-recording event, but uh, might mm-hmm. bring the mic along and see what I can <laughs> pick up. Just like pull someone into the lobby and see how it goes. Uh, and then we have the Columbia game tomorrow, so hopefully find out a little bit about that going to go into town and watch Australia France and see if I can talk to some Australian fans to see how they're feeling ahead of next week um, because the ones I've talked to so far are pretty confident but need to get them on camera so mm-hmm. hopefully we can show them up and then uh, I have a few Irish families who've contacted me who I'm going to see some of the sites with hopefully over the weekend and then the Queensland Championship semi-finals are happening on Sunday morning in Wollatong so I'm heading out to those as well to cheer on some of the local Irish people here who play um, with the various different GA teams around Queensland Ah, jealous very jealous some great names of places in Australia yeah Wallatong yeah. Wallatong has just gone top of my list fantastic yeah. Kathleen we'll catch up again it's- tomorrow sorry one ahead Oh, no, I was just going to say it's generally all the non-colonial names that are excellent. And then you have random places named Ipswich and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for, I prefer the Wallatongs of the world than Ipswich. Thanks a million, mm-hmm. Kathleen. We'll chat you tomorrow. Thanks, guys. Have a good morning. Great stuff. You too, yeah. Kathleen. Mike, are you there? Uh, I was going to say good morning to yourself as well. But again, it's, what is it, nine Nine hours ahead? Did we, did we discuss this yesterday? Um, there, yeah, I think it's about nine. Yeah, I we'll think go so. at nine. Uh, someone can correct us in the comments. There. It's five I, o'clock, yeah. I was just distracted. There's a, there's a, a ridiculously vague, like witness protection name in Australia for a place by Cairns witness protection name it's, what is it? it's, it's like they came up with it at 5 to 6 on a Friday evening because they couldn't think of a name <laughs> what's it called have you been to Australia? Yeah, I lived there for a year. Did you? Yeah. How did you like it? I loved it. Did you? Loved it. Well, did my, it's, it's my, just, did it it's, love you? It's culturally, yeah, it was yeah. good to me. Uh, it was culturally very similar to here. You seem really? like very. You, have you seem like you settle in very well to Australia. Loved it, yeah. Like, I, imagine no, I'm lucky. I have, I, have, I have a lot of people I know over there and family that settled there went over in the 80s big crowds go over in the 80s to Australia like do you know there's no there's no dialogue there like there's no, no that's a that's a phone call once a month that will cost you WhatsApp, a WhatsApp sir yeah so WhatsApp yeah. WhatsApp so uh, like that home, name home and away was a, was a big deal when I was younger knows, like you, you felt like home and away was a national obsession I went to visit home and away set yeah did you even watch the show? You did. You I did do it. Yeah, neighbours and home and away glued mm, to it growing up. Right, right, my mother, right. my mother had the remote control. Like you know, Jesus, Terry mm. Bowie dictated. Fair, fair. Speaking of dictate, yeah, uh, Wimbledon. Oh yeah, there. It's uh, it's really good now with the lack of star, star power name on paper. Mm. Yeah, in, uh, in both games, right? Because like Serena's retired. No Naomi Osaka. Yeah, Emma Raducanu. Fair. You know, so uh, not just so not just the men, but uh, it's been really good actually. It started slowly with the rain. Interrupting a lot of play, but today you have uh, two excellent semi-finals in the women's side. So the story of the championships for the women: Alina Svitolina from Ukraine, twenty-eight, gave birth last October for the first time. Um, she's been stupendous, and I think the narrative here for those who are just watching it in passing is that she's every chance of winning the semi-final today against Marketa Vandrusova, 
uh, Mortal Point she could play Arena Sabalenka on Saturday Oof. which would be Ukraine against Belarus mm. that'd, be, that'd be no handshake that would be kind of unprecedented no handshake in a final of Wimbledon yeah. and the speeches afterwards on court would be fascinating to hear now obviously like Svitolina has no problem with Sabalenka personally yeah. it's Ukraine against Belarus just looking at the men's side of it like yeah. I, so Djokovic's favour but he's not like he's not like this is a formality favourite uh, yeah it's because he's dropping a set here and there he keeps but does he know what he's set. doing like he's kind of uh, he's yeah. like there's, there's just no chance he's going to third gear there's no chance he won't win this and equal Roger Federer's no chance the, titles. No, uh, the only way is if he does something mm-hmm. like at the US Open when he got himself disqualified yeah, like, the, like, and I'm not saying like the men's side is very strong. Like he plays Yannick Sinner, who's a brilliant Italian young fella, mm. um, one of the stars of the future. Like, and then a star of the future and a star of the present, Carlos Alcaraz, who's the youngest Wimbledon semi-finalist in the men's side since Djokovic in 2007. Wow, he plays Daniel Medvedev, who beats Chris Eubanks yesterday. Chris Eubanks, like we've talked about him already this week with Jen Caffey, he was five points from victory yesterday. Oof, yeah. He was two sets to one up, a fourth set tie break, two one up at what the start of the tie break. And from there, Medvedev took control, unfortunately. Eubanks uh, became tired, but if you look at the prize money uh, at Wimbledon, like that's a game changer for Eubanks now. That's, I think, for over $400,000. Mm. And he's already booked in for commentary for the rest of the summer on the tennis channel. So we may have to think twice about that now. So was he just taking on the commentary because he didn't think he was of a level to He wasn't to making enough money. Like right. if you're outside the top 200, like tennis is absolutely brutal for those who don't make consistent money. Like, mm. And if you're outside the top 200, it's the equivalent of being... Any industry, it could be like an out-of-work freelance journalist or something like that where it's what you do, it's your passion, it's your vocation, but yeah. you're not getting paid. Mm. Outside the top 200, you could win events, but you're not like... It's, it's really just covering your expenses because as a mm. tennis player you have to pay for everything yourself it's mad, isn't it? so it's a really it was a really clever idea to supplement the income to do some commentary on games which actually helped improve his own analysis of matches yeah and look at him now like so that's game changing money I hope he goes on from there he hated grass a month ago then he won his first ever title in his career which was on grass and here we are like quarter finalists at Wimbledon and that was his dream they played that in the news round last night the lads he's actually quoted or you can hear him say this in an American TV show he's like most people's dreams to win, win Wimbledon or whatever I actually just want to get to the second week of Wimbledon that would be amazing <laughs> so he's done it fair play to him uh, yeah it's funny players comment still playing and then commentate and it happens at the snooker as well Sean Murphy and, and Mark Allen and these lads commentate while they're playing at the World Championship so it's an interesting one you get it in racing as well where you, you're kind of half thinking like um, is this an, a nod to your subsequent career because you know there's a few yeah. points to be made and uh, put in the door job well it, it, it's kind of gas as well where you have like Ruby Walsh going from like a jockey who obviously is one of the best jockeys ever to like presenting yeah. presenting like a la like Gary Lineker and like being annoyingly good at it like yeah. genuinely like and it's not easy to present on TV from my perspective I, 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 I don't find it natural at all Very do it very sporadically and Ruby just just like that mm-hmm. um, yeah so it's like, Davy Russell I think Barry Garrity lots of media roles for them going forward yep. as well for sure 8.08am on this uh, Wednesday Thursday Done it again. Thursday morning's so OTBM, the sports breakfast show from off the ball. Are you just totally, it's the, the, the bonding game is just throwing you into a big time. Don't, don't know what day it is anymore. Can't wait to talk about it in just yeah. a second. It's going to be yeah. uh, exciting. But I uh, should mention before we do, Brayburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of OTB. Brayburn Coffee is coming to an Apple Green near you. New Brayburn locations are popping up every month. So visit applegreenstores.com forward slash Brayburn to find your nearest Brayburn Coffee experience. Up next, it is Paul Finley and Jason Sherlock. OTB AM. Off the ball. Cheering on the girls in green. I followed the Irish women since 1983. 82,000 people, that's going to be something else. There'll be a hell of a lot of Irish in that, and it'll be a hell of a game as well. Love off the ball, we really do love off the ball. OTB AM. 
the Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball. All right, 10 minutes past 8 on this Thursday morning's OTBM, the Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball. Uh, myself and Johnny with you right through until 10 o'clock this morning. We're turning our attention to Gaelic football now. Time to preview the first of the All Ireland Senior Football Championship semi finals. It's half past 5 on Saturday evening in Croke Park. The dubs, the all conquering dubs against Monaghan. Uh, we have Paul Finley, former Monaghan star in the studio. Morning, Paul. Morning, Shane. How are things? And we love uh, Jason Sherlock there on the line as well, the former Dublin star. Jason, how are things? Good, Shane, and you? Keeping well, keeping well. Thanks a lot for joining us. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll Let's cut to the chase here, Jason. Is the man in our middle, is he one of the, the illustrious list of the greatest players not to win All-Ireland? He's definitely in that category, all right. He was. Uh, he certainly had a cultured left peg anyway, that's for sure. Cool. Still has a culture left peg, yeah, yeah. Jesus, still playing, uh, still playing away with uh, with Barry Bayman and senior champions at the moment. Paul, I have to, I have to mention the back page. <laughs> Let's back page the of the newspapers here, <laughs> and we'll get to you in this, Jason, as well. So, Colin O'Rourke, back page of the of the uh, Irish Independent. Dublin Kerry final is inevitable. Meath manager O'Rourke insists cream will rise to the top with Croker set to sell out. Uh, Colin Boyle on on off the ball last night as well, saying similar things. Is it uh, is it as straightforward as that, Paul? Ah well, it's exactly what Monaghan people want to hear. It's exactly what the Monaghan team want to hear. She, to be honest, um, it's understandable how that sort of talk is going around. To be fair, um, Dublin Kerry, they, they look like the form teams. They're really peaking, you know, coming into the right time of the year. But from a Monaghan perspective and from a Derry perspective, these guys can only concentrate on what they can, you know, bring on the day, and that's where their preparations will be. But you know, if if you are outside of either Derry or Monaghan, you know, that's the way it looks. Jason, uh, I, I guess it's Monaghan, one of those teams. I know it's all it's all league form, but uh, certainly they always have decent battles in the in, in the Allianz leagues, Division One. I think Monaghan have, have won three and drawn one. Maybe the last four games against the Dubs. And then you have to park that, I suppose, for championship because it's a whole different ball game. Yeah, well, I think when you look into this game, the starting point would be that league game, their last league game, where obviously Monaghan had a great victory and Dublin got relegated. And um, I think, although it was league football, it was very, very soon. It was very close to a championship last year. Obviously, Monaghan's season didn't go the way they would have liked. And when you look at Dublin, they're probably a different team now. And who knows, they mightn't be the team they are now without that defeat by Monaghan at that time. Um, but we've seen already in this year, in this year's league, Derry beating uh, Dublin, but then they get to Crow Park and it didn't translate. So yeah, that's going to be a big challenge for Monaghan. The one thing though, from a Monaghan perspective, they've played really well against Dublin and Crow Park. And there's not many teams that have that experience going into these big games. And I'm sure that's something that uh, Vinny and the players will be kind of reinforcing that they have been here before and they have performed very well against Dublin. The the start of the second half, uh, in particular, Jason against Mayo, I guess is why everyone is 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 really bigging up the Dubs at the moment. Uh, I guess over the last year or so, there there have been ups and downs, like the Gildare games. Uh, maybe weren't the best of performances, and there are a couple of other games you could say, well, Dublin weren't at their best, but certainly that third and fourth quarter against Mayo would leave Monaghan fans a little bit concerned, I guess. Yeah, and, and like when you look at the game in All-Ireland semi-final, Dublin are where they wanted to be. Um, and as you, as you say, it was, there was some really good, uh, parts of the performance against Mayo. And, um, it was very similar to the Dublin Mayo game. And I think it was 2019 where the third quarter, uh, Dublin got on top. And again, when you, when you look at the origin and the source of that, it was from the kick out situation and Dublin certainly pressed up. 
on uh, the Mayo kick out in that game. It's something they've tried and we, we've tried to do against uh, Rory Began, who for me was probably the hardest opponent when it came to um, against pressing up on a kick out. So that would be a, a challenge for, for Dublin on, on Saturday. But as you say, Shane, I think it's been a strange, uh, it's, a, it's been an unusual season. Obviously, it's a new season. But it's been a very strange graph in terms of Dublin and their progression. And I suppose that's what kind of gives a lot of opposition hope because Dublin haven't consistently performed as well as they have in years gone by. Uh, but at the same time, they're in an All-Ireland semi-final. They look to be peaking at the right time. Um, a lot of names, a lot of familiar names in the Dublin squad. And I think the challenge that the, the Dublin management team have is having the right 15 on the team, on the pitch at the right time. And sometimes when you have so many players, that can be a challenge in itself. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out on Saturday. You've had that experience, Paul, of, of playing with Rory Began and a couple of Ulster championship winning teams with Monaghan and against them at club level. Those great battles between Ballybay and Scotstown. How important is is he on Saturday? Because as Jason says, those kickouts, the way Dublin pushed the Mayo kickout was probably key in winning that game for them. But Beggins' kickouts are another level, so that he would be a, a crucial cog on on Saturday. No doubt about it. Rory's been huge for Monaghan, as you say, for Scotstown also. Um, I know coming up against him with Ballybay, like it, it, it's, he's such such a, an influential player for Scotstown. You know, not alone these kickouts, but kicking these booming points from sixty meters and beyond, like is is, is a serious advantage. So, yeah, it, it, it's going to be crucial. You know, you, you would expect that uh, Dublin will press up on Monaghan's kickout, you know, and re, re put them to the pin of the cut right from the start. You know, so it's re, really going to be hectic in, in that first ten or fifteen minutes and. It'll be for cool heads, and, and thankfully Rory has a lot of experience under his belt. There's a lot of experienced players out the pitch. He's a, he has Darren, who I'm thinking was, is going to start this match out, out the middle of the field. But you know they've played a lot of football. You know they've played in Crow Park a lot. The good open spaces to try and find a man. So even though it's going to be difficult, you know we have a good man in Rory to, to try and uh, get it get it going. You say the cool heads, Paul. Like the first ten minutes, what 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 is the modern self belief there? And um, the sense that because there will be a lot of fear as well. Like if this this goes wrong early, like where are we at? Well, they have a big game uh, attitude. You know, they, they've been in big games before. A lot of the players, like there's a few new guys that uh, you know wouldn't have seen this level before. But you know, there's the, the experience in in the group is is huge, and it's huge coming into these big games and the prep for the, these big games. In in you know, letting these guys know what what's expected and you know what what you know how these games can sort of pan out in the first twenty minutes. So, it, it, the first twenty minutes, I feel, in the first half in particular, is huge for Monaghan this weekend in that they'll want to get their game going very early. Um, get scores on the board very early. Try to you know be be annoying if you if for the want of a better word uh, you know against Dublin you know, put, you know not just not letting them get into their stride and you know that's the most critical part, part for me. And if they can do that, you know they'll you know get in at half time, still be 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 well in the game and you know then see see what the second half can bring. Uh, Jason, if you're trying to uh, subscribe to any theories of, of Dublin weakness in this team, uh, I was chatting to a, uh, a big Dublin GA fan of the weekend, and they were trying to trying to fill me with with some hope, and they were kind of saying that maybe pace or lack thereof in the Dublin uh, backline is is one area that Monaghan could exploit, especially if you have the likes of Conor McCarthy and Carlo Connell bombing forward from from half back into that uh, into that attacking zone. Is that an area that that Dublin maybe could be targeted? Yeah, well, I, I think the, the psychology of the game is is, is really important. And I, as Paul said there, I think from a Monaghan perspective, getting in into halftime is crucial. But there's a balance between going out to win the game versus going out not to lose. Mm. And I think um, if you look at Monaghan's best performance, in my opinion, this year has been that second half against Tyrone. And why why was it good? 
um, because they demonstrated urgency, that they pressed up and, and they committed to, to going forward. Now, that's a very hard thing to do in Crow Park against Dublin because you know if you if you overstep the mark, you could be exposed at the back. But certainly from a Monaghan perspective, if you're looking, if you're looking to kind of look for weaknesses, yeah, there's always question marks about the, the Dublin backline. But I think that's more to do with their structure. They they gen- generally play man to man, which obviously gives teams um, opportunities. And generally, Dublin forwards are forwards. So if you've got backs that can put them on the back foot, that gives uh, opposition an opportunity as well. But again, it's it's the psychology of the of that first half. What is the intent? Are we going out here to 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 create history? Are we going out to kind of put our footprint down and, and get to an All Ireland final, or are we going out to contain and to stay in this game and hope that we 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 have a chance with ten minutes to go? Yeah, like if you're if you're an opposition manager, Jason, trying to uh, set up a, uh, to play this Dublin team, like we had Davy Burke, the Roscommon manager, in studio with us there a couple of weeks ago, and they got a lot of criticism for the for the drawn game in the group stage in Croke Park for the for the way in which they played, and I think at one stage they had the ball for six minutes before popping off a score. Um, but he, his his point was, why would we go why would we go toe to toe with this Dublin team? Why would we try and play football against them when they're clearly a better footballing team? So is that how you is that how you set up against the Dubs in Croke Park? You just try and keep the ball for as long as you can. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it about Dublin. I would say it about any team you're playing. The mm-hmm. one thing, uh, if you're setting up your own team, you cannot control what what the opposition do. So you have to respect what they do. And I think Dublin obviously have have, have encountered that over numerous years and have come up with, um, I suppose, solutions for that situation. So I'd remove it away from from Dublin. I'd remove it away from Davy Burke and Ross Common. It's about a team that has the tools and capabilities, one, to understand what the challenge is, and then secondly, have the tools to kind of break it down. Um, like you, you can have a, a, a kind of a style of play. And obviously, Monaghan will want to get the ball inside. They'll want to get their halfbacks moving forward. Likewise, Dublin, as as they've shown this year, they want to kick the ball. They they want to get the ball in. And I suppose a big challenge for, for Dublin on Saturday will be, can Cormac Costello, can Colin Basquiat continue the form that they've shown? But probably to do that, they need space. And are Monaghan going to give them that space? Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's the, I know for some people, uh, from a spectator's perspective, it can be challenging now. But that's the kind of game within the game that uh, I suppose people that are involved in the game appreciate and understand and and accept. So uh, if you if you are looking at the game on Saturday, it might be worth looking out to see what what type of style uh, both oppositions are playing. Jason, has there been a correlation between the performances of the old boys, which has obviously been well touted after the Mayo game, and the return of Cluxton? Um, I'm not sure it's a correlation. I think Dublin typically they they like to obviously have their best performances towards the end of the year. Obviously, having a player like Stephen Cluxton in goal is for any team is a is a, a big boost. Um, but ultimately, like it, that's great on paper, and they have not been tested yet. And ultimately, that's where that's where we we'll we'll know whether. These guys having these guys around are, are, are a good thing or a bad thing. And I suppose that's the challenge that the opportunity Monaghan have at the weekend is can they, can they put, uh, Dublin on the back foot? Can they challenge what's going on? Because ultimately we don't know. Um, obviously there was guys that didn't start the last day. They might have picked up a couple of injuries as well. So we don't know who's going to start and who's going to finish. Um, but certainly from a Dublin perspective, it's great to see those names, but 
it, it won't be until the last quarter of a game where the game is in the melting pot till we really know if they have got the if they still have the ability to to finish out a Actually, game. Can, I, can you bring in that Paul? He, he's interesting. They haven't been tested yet, so that's almost an implication that Mayo just didn't perform. That they were probably tired or whatever. So is that does that give you a bit of hope? Um, I'm not sure. I think that was a cracking quarterfinal. Uh, you know, for long periods. Um, Do you buy the narrative that Mayo were tired or Dublin were just amazing? Well, I think there's a bit of both. Uh, Mayo certainly did bring it to Dublin in the early stages of the game and were right in it, you know, all through the first half. And, you know, they, they had some couple of mistakes, you'd have to call them. Was it down to tiredness? Uh, you know, that that's that's up for question. But, you know, they certainly brought it to them. They, they, Mayo played that similar type of game that they always do, you know, that chaotic sort of open game. And it, and it sort of lent to Dublin be able to go and do their thing uh, for that second half. And they certainly you know, finished that second half amazingly, like with you know, some key players coming off the bench. And, you know, they just look really, really strong. So Monaghan won't want the game like that. Monaghan will, will do anything to, to stop the game falling into that sort of thing. But, but you have to expect that Dublin's going to come after Monaghan a lot more than the teams have done, you know, like, like Armagh or even Kildare. That was a sort of a mirrored approach on what Monaghan was bringing. Dublin will go after Monaghan. They'll push up. And you'd have to think that it's going to be um, difficult for Monaghan to withstand that. For, Are they prepared for that? Well, they have to be. Yeah. Uh, they have to be because that's what Dublin will do. They won't sit back and let Monaghan have possession mm. for long periods of the game. They'll push right up at them, um, put serious pressure, put serious heat on, on all those guys that like to have time on the ball coming out of defence. So I, I can only hope that Monaghan have prepared uh, for that and um, they'll, they'll be ready to deal with it. And they can break those lines. Carl O'Connell, uh, Conor McCarthy, Conor Boyle. You mm. know, we've seen that all. Ryan Wiley can, can come forward and break tackles. And, you know... But at, at the end of that, the Monaghan will not sustain that for 70 minutes, so they'll look to, to, to have a, a more measured approach where they can. Conor McManus, we have to talk about him. Like he just When he came off the bench against Armagh, and, and we were talking, we had Ashley O'Reilly in the studio last week, she was down by the sideline, and she said he, he looked agitated on the sideline, ready to get in, and, and, and clearly he had a mark of the game straight away, uh, and nerves of steel with that, with that free kick, to even win it at the end. Do you, do you start him against Dublin, or do you do what you've... What what Vinnie Corey's been doing all year and, and kind of bring him off the bench with what, thirty, thirty five to go? I think ideally uh, we hold on to him. Mm-hmm. Um from from uh, that that's from me looking in, uh, that's what Vinnie has been doing um this year so far and I think they'll I don't think they'll change tack now. Uh, they'll hope to to get a, a really strong just the way modern football is, it's 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 just hectic for that first thirty five minutes. It's it's the pace is is, is unbelievable. Um you know, and then you look to, to Connor in the second half, and you know, just to, to come in and do what he has been doing. He's just been—it's it's, it's off the charts. You know, really that that introduction against Armagh. Um, we, we've seen it down the years. I've, I've played with him, played against him. He's—he's—he's he's, he's, he's a, a guy, a go-to guy. Anytime you need a score, uh, he will pop up and, and look for that responsibility. You're you're forty now. How hard is it to maintain that at the level that he's at into his mid into his the. The latter half of his thirties, like I, I don't. Like, you see with Mike Fitzsimons as well. Like I, 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 maybe it depends on your life outside of football a lot, but it's an insane achievement from my perspective that to be playing at that level. Yeah, it's it's amazing. It, it doesn't get any easier. I can tell you. Um, 
from experience. Um, you got to change your game a bit as well, obviously. Like, of course, and we, we, it's well documented the, the difficulties Connor's had with injuries and, and uh, his hips, etc. But he, he's managing that really well. He's managing that for a long time now, mm. and he's, he's looking after himself um, as, 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 as good as ever. He's in as good a shape as, as you'd ever see him. So that's credit to him. But I suppose it, mentally it gets it gets difficult every year that passes, and everybody's expecting you to retire. There's something you know eating away at you inside. Should I actually be here? You know and you know, these doubts come into your mind, especially standing over pressure-free kicks like the way he did. So it's clearly not affecting him, and that's what makes him a really special player. Jason, the, the, the strength and depth has never been a concern for, for the Dublin team, but when you saw the lads coming off the bench against, uh, against Mayo, the likes of, of uh, Rock and Small and Kilkenny, uh, would, would you expect any of them, like Kieran Kilkenny comes to mind and Jack McCaffrey comes to mind as well, would you expect either of them to start, or will, will there be very little in terms of changes from Desi Farrell, would you expect? It's hard to know, um, and and I suppose we're, we're all interested, and we'll all as we as everyone is the hus, the home of expectation twenty minutes before a game, mm-hmm. because yeah, as, as I mentioned earlier, he's he, the management seemed to have a, a, an embarrassment of riches there. It was obviously a big surprise not to see Kieran Kilkenny start the game because he's been such a a key performer for Dublin over the last number of years. On Morton, as I mentioned, got injured uh, coming off in the second half, and to see him come off was was a worry. But um, I think just to to build on your your last point, and it, it applies to Dublin as well. You mentioned Mick Fitz. You look at the performance of James McCarthy the last mm. day. You look at the likes of um, Darren Hughes. Um, you mentioned Carl O'Connell. Uh, I, I got to. I, I've obviously seen Conor McManus, and I got to chat to him earlier in this year, and. Like to, to to see those older players and to see them still performing at the level they are, they're a credit not only to themselves as footballers but also as people. And um, to be able to still continue to care as much as they do and to commit what they do to perform, it, it, it's really kind of inspiring. And obviously, no matter how the the game goes, you want to see those guys having their their day in the sun and and going out to perform really well. Is it the fear of the afterlife, Joe? It's like once this is done, it's done. Like, do you know what I mean? It's like, I know it's hard. You have to motivate yourself for another winter of this. But like, once it's done, I won't hear the roar of that Crow Park crowd again. Yeah, you think that, Johnny. Um, but that, to be honest, if, if that's your if that's your mindset, you're probably doing it for the wrong reasons. Mm. And I think the one thing, and I, I, I know, uh, obviously, the Dublin lads, and I, I got to know Connor a bit. They care about their counties a lot. They care about where they are. And obviously, Monon have had a, had a couple of years where they've underperformed in the championship. And I'm sure if, if Connor was asked to be wheeled out for a minute to kick a free for Monaghan this year in the championship, he would have done it because he's had a lot of tra- challenges and a lot of uh, injuries to, to get to where he is. So, um, so no, I think the, the, the more, uh, team focused players, they see that their, their care to the, to the dressing room and the people that they're playing with, but also to the, the pride that they have in their county. I think as well, like when you see like the Saudi Arabia and the money and where are these lads going to go now in football, like that's a lovely, lovely thing. That like what Geo says there, that like I never played into county football. I wouldn't for a minute want to put in that commitment. It's it's unbelievable. And for for them lads to be doing it for the love of the county is like it's a rare, rare thing in in sport at that level nowadays. Yeah. Like the lure of the lure of management as well in the county, <clears throat> Jason is always there and, and but there is, as Johnny says, there's the commitment issue there as well. I think the Monaghan and Donegal jobs took months and months after the championship to, to fill. I know your name was one that was quite strongly linked with, with the Monaghan position and I had the J.O. Sherlock posters bought for the bedroom. I thought this was a done You only ruined this bedroom anymore for both. I know, like, I know, you know. You'd, you'd imagine. <laughs> how, how close was that, was that Jason, to the, to the Monaghan position? Because it seemed to be, it 
seemed to be reasonably close. I know you're probably considering it. Um, well, certainly, I, I had conversations, and it was something. Um, it was something that I, I I did reflect upon and consider. Obviously, it's worked out a, a lot better anyway. And obviously, Vinny is a top guy, and uh, delighted for him and the the team to to have got where they where they are. I think, from my perspective, I'm delighted where Manon are, but I'm not surprised. And mm. um, when you look at the performances and the players that they've had over the last number of years, like they are playing to their potential. And the one thing. From the experience, and I would have my father-in-law who, who passed away a few years ago. He he worked with Monaghan Cove for all his life practically, so that was a big part of the appeal to kind of get involved with Monaghan. But the one thing that I did learn about the Monaghan people is how much they care about their football up there, and there's a lot of great people, and I'm delighted to see some of the people that I I, I spoke to uh, involved with Vinny and and the setup. So uh, as I said, I'm delighted that they're there, but I'm certainly not surprised, and uh, I think they they come into Saturday with a real good shot of uh, upsetting Dublin. What does Vinny have? Just out and out leadership quality. Um, he had it as a player um, all down the years. Um, he's big on discipline um, and you can see that in the way the team are playing mm. um, he, he never was phased uh, when he was playing either and you can see that again on the line he, he's just totally in control at all times but you'd have to be just very happy from a Monaghan perspective and a supporter now at this stage that the way the team are playing they're, they're just putting every last bit of themselves mm. into the into the, each and every game that they play and you know what, what more can you ask for from any manager, like the, you know, the teams when the teams playing like that, and you know, tactically astute, you know, they've they've, they've had to adapt. Um, really poor performance result against uh, Derry back in the Ulster Championship, and you know, they, they go meet them again, and there's lots of changes and there's lots of uh, tactical manoeuvres to to try and counter the problems that they had. So you know, that that's all you can ask for in any management team, and Monan have that, and Vinny and his team, and they've done brilliantly. We can sometimes read too much into backroom teams, maybe in the GA, but they are still massively important. Um, Vinny made the move of bringing in Porrick Duffy, who we saw celebrating, uh, you know, as I think it's logistics liaison manager is his official title. <laughs> I don't know what, it, what that LLA. is. <laughs> yeah, basically. But, like, how important could that be? Because I know he was involved with teams in the 80s under Sean McCaig, and look, his experience in the administrative side as director general, he's been at the top of the game. Loves modern football, obviously. I'm sure that's an important aspect of the backroom. Yeah, it, it's it's not something that was too widely uh, talked about or uh, publicised. But you know, having somebody like Park in there is is it's just brilliant. Like him being from Monaghan, the experience that he has in the game, um, just be, being a presence. He has to be a presence in there, and for the, all those lads to see him, it, you know, he's, he's certainly adding something. But not just Park, like but Derek McArdle. I played with him for years. Like another deep thinker about the game, and an excellent man to have in your corner, and. Uh, the, you know, a lot of talk about Martin, Vinny's brother. You know, and I know Calvin weren't too keen on letting him him uh, go from from there the ranks. So uh, highly regarded coach, and then Gabriel Bannigan, huge experience in the game as well. So just built a really solid team. Having the like a Porrick Duffy and all of those guys mentioned uh, in there just makes it a really strong ticket. Just all to you then, Joe. The Gilroy thing, same question, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, to, to be honest, I wouldn't know much. I wasn't involved with Pat for very long. He got rid of me in 2009. Um, <laughs> Good but judge. From a, from a, yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> um, so from a Dublin perspective, obviously, it, it's a new voice. It's a, it's a voice that had, had relative success in the, in the past. So I'm sure it, it's, it's been a positive for, from a Dublin perspective. But again, it just shows you, and I go, go back to that Monaghan game in the league. 
things changed from a Dublin perspective that day. So I suppose uh, they, they, the Dublin will certainly have, uh, uh, Monaghan will certainly uh, have the attention of Dublin going into Saturday. As to two Monaghan, let's how many of the Monaghan forwards get on the Dublin team? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, Dublin have an embarrassment of riches. Um, on the bench, like this is insane. Yeah. All will start from on one hundred percent. All yeah. these like, the marquee bench players, without a doubt. Like you, you, you know, you talk about Connor, like you know, but Connor at, at the stage of his career, yeah. does he even do get into the, the mm. Dublin squad? I'm sure that, that you know the Connor of old and and back in his heyday, of course he does. Um, there, there is, there is. Michal Bannigan has been playing very well for Monaghan. Um, he has great pace. Um, you know, Kieran Hughes is coming in out of the game. He's, he's his ability um, is, is unquestioned. You know, but playing a different role for the for the team right now. Um, Stephen O'Hanlon. They, they all bring different traits. Like, and this is what what's good about Monaghan. That you know, some guys are, are in there for scoring. Jack McCarran, Like we think about McCarran has brilliant performances against Dublin. When you think mm. the last year's two was a two five, maybe yeah, one seven the, before, and without a doubt. But the challenge for Monaghan is bringing it now, at this stage. And and Vinny has mentioned it. You know about it. Beating a top three side at this stage of the championship is where it's at for Monaghan, and that's the the challenge. But they have lots of quality within their forward team. Do, do, do any of those guys get into uh, the, the Dublin squad? You know, everybody's going to have a different opinion on that. But you know, I'd certainly be happy with you know the the, the spread you know of scores and and you know threatening players that they have. And look, you'll you'll always look for it's, more. It's a very good political answer, but it does sum up how difficult the challenge is mm. because. Like the bench as well that Dublin have, you're talking about not six forwards, you're talking about like ten forwards. <laughs> so like I, you can't you can't win this game going toe to toe. So like Vinny has to find some way of and I, I fear for both semi-finals. I really do. I I think Gaelic football is in a place where it would not be good for Gaelic football if yeah. these were two washouts. And I do fear that. Um, but I'm hoping for some love from the Monaghan lads that it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Prediction time, Jason. How how, how are you calling it? Um, well, obviously, from my perspective, I'd be hoping Dublin continue the form that they they, they showed against uh, Mayo. It's likely if the game is going to be won early, it's likely that Dublin can kind of get that momentum, as as Paul alluded to. Um, Monaghan have played teams that have mirrored each other. The last game, I think that it was a drawn game thirteen times. So I think Monaghan, whether they can take encounter or how they deal with uh, when. When Dublin kind of create that bit of chaos and get a kind of a couple of points uh, in a row, it'll be interesting to see how Monaghan deal with that. I think I would love if the game got to the final quarter for both teams. Uh, I think it'll test Dublin and uh, it'll be interesting to see how they deal with that. But also, if it gets to the last quarter, you would expect Monaghan to be at their strongest because the likes of Connor Connor McManus will be on the pitch, and then it'll be a case of whether they really believe. So. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'd love it to get into the final quarter and if it does uh, with, with the game in the balance and if it does, it, in my opinion, it could go either way. Paul? Yeah, um, I think it's a, it's a case of what version of each each team brings uh, to mm. the day. Um, if Dublin bring their absolute best that we've seen in the second half against Mayo, it's going to be a really difficult task for Monaghan. Um, if Monaghan can bring absolutely something that is really at the top of each and every one of their game and even above that um, which is possible in these big matches you know you, you come and you know you, you get you get going and there's something just you know something comes upon you as a group and you, you really perform above yourself I think that's what it's going to take to topple Dublin 
plus with Dublin, you know, being knocked out of the comfort zone and not being able to get to the pitch that they that they, they really want to. So those are, those are the couple of things that's going to happen have to happen for a Monaghan victory. But you would have to say that if Dublin are bringing their best, you know, it's going to be a really difficult day for Monaghan. Can I briefly ask you before we let you go? Uh, we mentioned it at the start of the show. We had Anthony Moyles in that seat last week, and I think he was talking about the, the 05 Division Two League final in Croke Park <laughs> between Monaghan and Meath. One of my best memories ever as a child. I have to say, well, I was twelve or thirteen, I'd say. Um, what are your memories of that? Because the referee tells you there's what last kick of the game, Monaghan two points down, and you just laugh the ball in. And uh, per Mark Ward, if he's watching, won't like to see it back. But chaotic. Yeah, brilliant scenes from Monaghan. That was probably back. You know, Banty had us, and he he, he lifted us up. Um, you know, we we got to that division. I think it was two A final, so we were pretty low in the leagues. You know, Mead wouldn't have been happy with where they were either. But um, it was it was huge for Monaghan. You know, we hadn't won a trophy in Crow Park for years, mm. if, if ever, even at that. You know, if I'm right in saying that. And yeah, it was it was crazy. The, the, the ref definitely did tell us that it was the last kick. When I when I let, let that ball go, I'm thinking I've hit it too hard. I think it's going to drop over the crossbar. And um, you know what the hell were you doing? You know, but <laughs> it, it just you know unfortunate for Mark, but you know brilliant for Monaghan and the scenes after it were, were amazing. And to this day, get reminded about it often enough. Joe Sullivan, my own club mate, <laughs> reminds me or puts it puts a post up every every March or April, whatever it was, on, on social media, and it gets a, a nice few hits. So look, it's, it's a nice memory anyway. Yeah. You're still going strong as well. Yeah, still still trying to um, put the boots on. It's great to be able to do that. We had a fantastic year last year with Bally. Beat the winner in our county title. Um, you know, it's 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 a case of being able and everything being right in, in my life. Thankfully, at home and and work and just having that opportunity. And uh, yeah, I'm blessed to to not have too many injuries that uh, allows me to do that and trying to enjoy it. Well, Paul, thanks a million for for coming in. Jason, thanks for hopping on the line as well. Uh, and listen, lads, enjoy the match. I made the best team win. <laughs> no, I, I think that, that, <laughs> that I think that reminds us of Moscow. Never I, I, I bloody well hope not. <laughs> if you're from Monaghan, I know, I know, I know. Wishful thinking. We'll see, we'll see. I keep my cards close to my chest. It's just an honour to share the pitch with the Dubs, sure, Johnny, isn't it? Uh, according to the back pages, anyway. Uh, Eight forty a.m. on this uh, Thursday morning's OTB. We're beating Monaghan this morning. <laughs> yeah. Uh, OTB and the sports breakfast showing off the ball. Uh, should say as well. Don't miss all the action in Rugby Daily today in your OTB podcast network, bringing you everything you need to know about rugby. Get your favourite local restaurants delivered to your door with Deliveroo. Just open up the app, browse some great offers, take your pick and they will take care of the rest. Deliveroo food, we get it. Staying with rugby, Mr Alan Quinlan joins us on the line this morning. Quinny, how are things? Very good lads and yourself. Keeping well, keeping well. We had uh, we Keith Wood on the show yesterday and um, we were remarking and remembering uh, a certain try you scored against Argentina in the World Cup back in the day. Uh, what are your memories? Because I watched it back in advance of chatting to Keith and you look in serious discomfort. You dislocated your shoulder to, to kind of score this try. Yeah, my memories obviously uh, it was better to, to to get injured scoring the try than than it to happen. Uh, I suppose in a training session or something like that. Obviously, it was bitterly disappointing at the time. Um, I was in I was in probably the best shape ever um, mentally. I was in a good place. Um, I wasn't being picked um, on the back of, of of a few injuries in the back row, so everyone was pretty much available, and I kind of fought my way into the. The starting team and um, it was incredibly exciting um, to go and play Argentina given what happened in 99 in the World Cup so um, yeah scoring the try was nice I just wish I had maybe another half a yard of pace and I wasn't tackled <laughs> uh, by by the Argentinian fullback and, and obviously what happened to my shoulder was 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 a pity because it took me um, 
took me a good a long time to kind of get back and and uh, be able to play properly again with with the shoulder. It did affect me for a long long time. I had to kind of change the way I trained in the gym and stuff like that because um, you know it 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 took it took a fair bit of um, to get the flexibility back and and uh, and all that kind of stuff and build up the shoulder again. It took a long time, but. Um, probably seven or eight months later, I was in South Africa on, on an Ireland tour and came off the bench twice there for that. And uh, um, I got back in the green jersey again. But certainly, you know, it was it was it was disappointing. It was great to score, as I said, and um, for Woody to be giving me a compliment, it's nice. I don't often get too many compliments from <laughs> from former teammates. Um, they're usually given out about how annoying I was, uh, but it was nice. It was, was nice to hear that. From in, ter- in terms of your pain that you encountered during your career, how was that up there? In terms of actual, like this is <laughs> this is this is sore, like mm. bit indescribable, Johnny. If 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 I'm being honest, it was kind of it was pain that was like I can't, this isn't stopping, like, and it's it's phenomenal, really. You know, if you get a bang or a knock, or you. Uh, I've broken a few bones. Well, I've broken a good few bones. I broke my thumbs and, you know, fractured my jaw um, up to that point, broke fingers, things like that, which are quite sore, dislocated my thumb as well. Um, but that, that pain was just, it was a searing pain that, that wasn't really stopping um, until we got into the dressing room and um, whatever, the, the medics for the Irish team and there was a few other medics there um who eventually got the shoulder back in place once it popped back into place the pain literally stopped it was like turning off a tap and um i went off to hospital got an x-ray um and got back to it for right at the end of the game and um ireland had won the game so that was probably the most important thing in the day because there was so much pressure on us going into that game um so yeah it was kind of bittersweet memories as i said um i've always kind of held on to that, that that scenario of at least I scored in a big game, you know, because mm-hmm. these things happen in training to players in all sports, you know, they get injured behind closed doors and it felt like that it was an important try and um, at least there was something out of that. But obviously if I had my time back, I would have uh, preferred not to have the, I got injured and dislocated a shoulder because I missed the rest of the World Cup and I missed the Six Nations where Ireland won a, a triple crown a couple of months later as well for the first time in 20, 25 years, so um, it was uh, yeah, bittersweet, but nice to hear Woody saying something nice about me, as I said I don't know, too often get many compliments. Yeah, as you said, well, it was like, I think it was 16-15, maybe the final score in that one but Woody was the one who um, who lays the ball off to you, you're coming through at absolute full tilt, and as Woody said yesterday, like it was the, the pass had to be perfect but also your run, there was no stopping you, 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 ha- you were literally there was only one split second in which you could get that ball yeah, but you don't really. Um, um, I didn't really think much about it to be honest. <laughs> um, I, you know, just got in his shoulder and he threw a little dummy and then a pass. And um, Carletto, the full back for Argentina, you know, he's he was he's a very quick physical player. And um, even from a pace point of view, I suppose I was I was in really good shape going into that World Cup and um, had a few setbacks before that as regards selection and just understanding what it was like to get to that level, the sacrifices you make and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, it was great to score it. Um, I kind of, I claim, you know, I think 
scoring the try, you know, there was a bit of always a bit of a joke with with guys who played in that match. Like saved Irish rugby, that it was so important to try, and um, I was kind of claiming that I saved the Irish few a lot of money that we wouldn't have to qualify for the next World Cup, and we were going to come out of the pool um, and and get into the quarterfinals and stuff like that. But Paul O'Connell was always kind of back at me saying that well. Uh, you know, Rog or, or David Humphreys would have got a drop goal or a penalty to win it. Uh, the try didn't really matter. But um, so, in some uh, respects, the, if Ireland win the World Cup this year, it is sort of down to you, really. <laughs> well, a lot of the success in recent times, Johnny, would be down to me, I'd say, because um, that fifteen million that I saved the IRFU uh, back then in qualifying, and um, so yeah. It's not yeah, unrelated, Shane. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> money helps, money helps. Uh, i tell you what would be a, a lovely little lift for the country and, and rugby in, in Ireland would be a win over France tomorrow evening, Quinny, 6 o'clock in the World of the 20 uh, Championship Final. Um, an emphatic win over South Africa, that lone stadium, as we talked to you earlier in the week in the, in the semis. Uh, this French team, Ireland getting just over the line against them in the Six Nations, but they are possibly favourites heading into this one, France? It's probably what Paul was saying there beforehand about Dublin Monaghan. It's a little bit like that. Um, Ireland are strong underdogs here, you know, and I think it's not, not nothing really to do with the Six Nations. Um, Ireland can look back and obviously take a lot. You, you can take a fair bit from that, and it's a massive achievement to win the Grand Slam like they did this year and last year. Um, <clears throat> France have improved a lot. They've added a couple of players. Um the pace, the power um, that they have, and you know they are strong favourites. They've scored, I think it's tw- I, twenty-nine tries in four games, which is a hell of a return, isn't it? To score that many tries, they've only conceded eleven. So um, it's very hard to stop them, Shane, from scoring. You know, if you look at the semi-final against England, they're seventeen nil down. England <clears throat> got a brilliant try early on. They got a penalty, then got a brilliant try team try then they get an intercept and score again and they're 17-0 up and you think France are rattling a little bit here um, they respond and you know half time is 24-14 to England and you think God this there's an upset on here and and this is good for Ireland because um, they're stopping France from playing here effectively and Ireland you, I'm thinking in my head you know they can they can take take England. Um, England is a better team for playing the final, mm-hmm. a better chance maybe. And um, the response in the second half was was phenomenal. You know, they had, it was twenty four fourteen, and then you know twenty minutes later, it's fifty, it's fifty two twenty four. England scored the last scored a try at the end. Um, just that performance in that second half was a reminder to everyone of how strong they are. Um, I mentioned, I think, on Monday about their number eight. We we talk a lot about Brian Gleeson, but their number eight, Marco Gazzotti, is a wonderful player as mm-hmm. well. And uh, Baptiste Janou, um, the scrum half, he makes everything tick for them between forwards and backs. He makes a lot of line breaks. He's he's um, he's just a phenomenal player. Um, he's always on the inside and making breaks, popping the ball off the fellas. And um, they're hard to stop, so... Um, how do you stop them? I'm not really sure. I think you, for for Ireland, they probably need um, a perfect performance here, and and maybe to cut out mistakes and and errors, um, and try and get a complete performance. 
are they capable of it? Yes, um, Ireland's ambition in attack um, and the way they've played throughout the Six Nations this tournament, they, they attack a lot and that's kind of in their in their makeup. So um, I think Ireland can score tries against France, yes, but um, they've got to defend really well. And they can take a lot of heart probably from the defence against against South Africa last last week in the semi-final. But as I said, a near-perfect performance is required if they are to win it. But up to this point, they've done remarkably well, Ireland. How important is a game like this psychologically for a player of that age, Quinny? Where, like, if you look at, say, New Zealand and England, they guess form of credit will get battered by 21 points say if Ireland lost by similar or worse or, 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 or more significantly just weren't in the game how, how, how damaging is that psychologically as a young player if you're like I'm just not good enough for this well I think yeah it's a good question as regards um, you know obviously in any sport if you, if you get a heavy defeat um, particularly in a final people remember it don't they you know mm. they remember that um, so, but I think up to this point with these players, they've they've um, they've achieved a fair bit. Um, you know, winning the Grand Slam, um, it's 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 a big tournament. Um, it was a, a fantastic performances right throughout the, the tournament. Getting to a final here, um, given the start they had when they drew against England, the way they responded, everything that's kind of happened around the tragedies that have affected mm. the squad. Um, Psychologically, will it damage them? Yeah, yeah. If you get a big defeat, of course you'll remember that. Um, the flip side of that is if if they were to, you know, be close here in with ten or fifteen minutes to go, I think they'll. And they've shown that they've incredible belief this team because they've had a fair few setbacks aside from the off the field stuff. Uh, that's that's been incredible to deal with. They're a side that really respond after they make a mistake or two. They just seem to dust themselves down. And that's probably the most impressive thing for me. They're they're a very calm side. They're quite patient in what they do, and that's down to good coaching as well. But it's it's you know Richie Murphy's done a remarkable job, and but there's also a lot of kind of mature leaders in the group. So I think they know what's coming, Johnny. And and I don't think anyone will focus on um, you know the reality is France France have shown in the tournament. So there's evidence to say there that. You know they're incredibly powerful. They're they're after improving a lot since the Six Nations, um, and they're capable of putting up a big score on anyone. And they don't they don't seem to panic because they're you know their captains after the game was was talking about you know even the 17 nil down that they were very controlled and calm. Then they're 10 points down at half time, and um, of course it's easy to say when you when you do go out and score loads of tries and win the game. But he was saying that you know they were very relaxed. They they seem to believe that. If they just get themselves right here, they're going to score tries against England and win the game. Um, Ireland have, have to ask questions of them and be really physical. But um, I, I, I really hope, obviously we all hope they win, but there's a little bit of a worry here if France get their tails up, they, they're capable of pulling away. And I just think this team deserve, this, you know, deserve a real shot at it and, and hopefully they can... They can bring a performance that keeps them in the game, and um, I, I I really believe if they're in the game with 15, 20 minutes to go, and it's it's tight, that um, a little bit of momentum may swing with them. But France are very very dangerous. It, it is a, a delicate balancing act for Richie Murphy as well, isn't it? Like we have to play our game, 
So you have to have some middle ground between we have to play our game, but also be conscious of the fact that we, we basically sort of need to um, have a 10 out of 10 performance and we also need to somehow suffocate France in the sense of make this like as close as possible for as long as possible. So I don't know, you have to inculcate a lot of belief maybe, but at the same time, we can't kind of get ahead of ourselves here. Yeah, well, I, I, I think, um, and it's probably my own mentality from being a, being being out there and on the field and playing, um, the worst thing anyone can do sometimes is, um, sometimes you see it in football where somebody scores a goal against the run of play and you shut up shop for the day and you bring back, bring on an extra defender and all that stuff. Um, doesn't really work in rugby unless the conditions are absolutely horrendous and maybe it's only just um, penalties that are winning the game and handling is really difficult. I think Ireland have to focus on them, their own performance and I, I think they're capable of causing France problems in attack um, and, and that's where they obviously have to really kind of um, have their, their mindset that they've got to play rugby and back what they've done in the uh, in this tournament and in the Six Nations because, you know, last week they defended for long periods in that semi-final and then scored three great tries in the second half. Um, so um, they've got a front up and he's picked a very physical side. So, you know, it's, it's, it's not a case of trying to contain France because if you do that, I think you run into problems. They, they have to be brave and go for it as well. And I think they will be. I think from Richie Murphy's kind of um, listening to him in, 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 in the press, um, even before the semis um, and this week again, um, they've got to kind of back themselves. And I think they will. I just think where they need to be really miserly is 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 just around penalties, um, handling, uh, and, and you know really get their line out and and, and kickoffs right, because um, when we talk about the, that nine or t- nine out of ten performance that you probably need in these in these situations, it's the small errors that really come back to kind of haunt you. And mm. France typically. Their mentality will never change. It's the same as the senior side. If they get their kind of flow going and somebody drops a ball and one of the French guys picks it up in the 22, they, you know, all French sides will try and believe, you know, they'll think they can go the length of the field and score. In those moments, it's Ireland have got to be really rock solid and kind of strong defensively and, and just shrewd in their game. So their kicking game is really important as well. Yeah, I should mention as well, the, the team news, Richie Murphy, uh, is the, the, from the semi-final, the only change excuse me, is the return of James McNabney to blindside flanker. He was suspended, of course, for a high tackle earlier in the tournament. Jim McMangan uh, moves then from blindside flanker to, to second row. Uh, your prediction briefly, Quinny, for that one, how do you think it's going to go? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I think it's, um, look, it's, it's France, are, are, it's going to be difficult to stop them. Um, and, you know, on the basis of what we've seen, France probably are, are that little bit better. But, there's there's a side of me then that thinks that you know everything that's happened the, the under twenties have become really really tight, and I'm sure that um, I'm sure they do themselves proud, but I think France probably just win this on the basis of of what we've seen. We should mention before we go, we've got a comment in from Pascal Jacob who says on YouTube, "Are you not even going to mention those Canterbury abominations?" So uh, people might have seen this, the new Irish jersey for the Rugby World Cup. We have a few images up on screen there. I don't know if you've managed to see see this, Quinny, but. Um, it's Is the it that new, bad? Uh, well, no, that's just what they see. Jerseys are so subjective. I actually think they're lovely. I, I, it's not abominable. Like, I mean, no, it's definitely it's, not. It, 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 I mean, I don't know. The jersey said to be, quote, the most technologically advanced ever produced by Canberra. 
and uh, officially launched alongside the kit sponsors We Go Together campaign uh, calling on Irish fans across the world to unite in support of the team so uh, like it's challenging Quinny's like intervention in terms of if <laughs> Ireland do win the World Cup it'll be down to the jersey pretty much true have you seen these, these jerseys yet Quinny? yeah I saw some shots online yeah I think they're nice um, I'd obviously like to see it kind of up close and see what the mm. they're kind of a brighter green aren't they yeah mm. Definitely not as dark initially, as the 07. <laughs> I, initially, I thought it was a T-shirt that um, the Peter Romani, Ian Henderson, and who's the other player yesterday? It's um, uh, yeah, put it up there again. Oh, Ross Ross Byrne, Ross Byrne. Yeah, it, it, it does, I think they're going for that look as well, Quinny. Like Ross Byrne could be yeah. just showing up in like a boozer in Balls Bridge there, and like it's like, oh yeah, whatever. You're, you look, you look well. <laughs> it's a great shot. You know, the first thing I thought of is. Um, uh, none of the three of them know what a razor is used for because they all have this kind of this uh, beards on them and stubble and stuff. Nobody shaves anymore, do they? No, and me, myself and Johnny don't clearly either. No, no, no. no. With the handsome lad, no, to be fair shave. though. This is it, yeah, this is it. <laughs> also, also the three rugby lads. <laughs> what was the question again? <laughs> Getting distracted, sorry. Jeez. Quinny, great stuff as always. Thanks a million. Cheers, thanks, lads. Brilliant stuff. Alan Quinlan on the line I'm there. I'm having that jersey. Yeah, I think they're quite I, nice. I like it. Mm. A, it's a wee bit soccer-esque. Maybe, Maybe a bit... Uh, uh, rugby fans will hate that. But, you, uh, are you old enough to remember when rugby jerseys like were grossly oversized and like I think it was it was a thing there where like coaches are like it's a lot it's a lot harder to grab yeah. a player if we actually have tight tops here. Like, that wasn't that long ago it's no it's true um, scientific makes sense to have them tight as tight as you can be uh, 8.50am on Thursday's OTB I'm here some highlights coming up at the OTB Podcast Network for you today we've got Gavin Cooney from last night's show Football Daily as well and the F1 pod uh, we had a great episode recorded yesterday after the break we'll have comedian Eric Lawless you had to be there it's so unexpected it's one of those you had to be there moments you had to be there. It subsequently genuinely did change everything about my life. I have to be there. Yeah, two minutes past nine on this Thursday morning's OTBM. It's the latest episode, as you just heard there in the sting, of You Had to Be There. Delighted to welcome the comedian and actor all-rounder, Eric Lawler, in the studio. How are you, Eric? I'm very, very excited to be here, lads. Thanks for having me. And well, Bose fan. I mean, and Bose fan. Well, that was, well, was that like, not yeah. obvious? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> this is an absolute gem of it. It is the Dublin bus jersey. It is, yeah. Yeah, it's the one uh, It's one of many Bose jerseys that's caught the attention of people. But this one in particular, I think, uh, stands out because of its... Well, it's likeness to a Dublin bus seat, and I have sat on the Dublin bus with this <laughs> camouflage. Uh, somebody yeah. actually sat in your lap because he didn't see you. Like, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Like, ticket inspector, I can get away with a free ticket, no problem. <laughs> I like, there's nobody there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like those glasses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Those glasses hovering. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. It's, they've had a few, though. They've had the Bob Marley one. Um, there have been a mul- multiple number of, yeah, of those jerseys. The most recent one, I suppose, the one that grabbed the headlines very recently was the, the tribute to Christie. That was yes. a great idea, wasn't it? Was it was a nice moment. Yeah, you know, I mean, in the three days, they raised 100, over 140 grand for St. Francis Hospice, which was amazing. Like, you know, they sold like three and a half thousand jerseys Jesus. in three days, which is incredible. And, you know, all the credit uh, with the jerseys goes to Dan Lambert, the COO of Bose. He, he's the genius behind all of these. <laughs> and he, he likes to downplay it all the time, but he is, like, he is a socialist Jeff Bezos. <laughs> he would be a multi-billionaire if he, uh, if he put his mind to it. He, he's a socialist, but he embraces capitalism very well. Like, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. But that, that Aslan <laughs> thing, honestly, I thought that was such a, like, the difference that would make to a hospice. You can slag Bose all you want. I thought that was a beautiful gesture. Mm. It really was. And, uh, of course, the Palestinian jersey that was out yeah. Yeah. recently as well the Bob Marley yeah, there's so many now like, and we get so excited when there's a new jersey about to launch we go yeah. I wonder who's, who's pissed we're going to boil today <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly uh, I was going to introduce you as actor or comedian I was going to introduce you as fair city villain as oh well. yeah yeah. I mean, it must be lovely to play a villain. Oh, it's the best crack ever, you know, <laughs> um, because you could be having a bad day. 
<laughs> and you go into there and you don't have to pretend that you're, you're in good form you just put the scowl into your performance and they go, they're like oh my god he's a nasty yeah, yeah. when I got the part in Fair City my mum's a big fan you know and she t- I told her and she was like oh my god I can't believe she was delighted so proud never been prouder of me like you know and, uh, and I said and then I said man no she said, when you see the character I'm playing he's an awful an awful so and so and she goes I don't care I don't care and then within two weeks I'll be watching on screen I've got a text on me going don't ever come out to my house <laughs> that's not my son <laughs> awkward Christmas dinner after that yeah. Jesus yeah yeah well Johnny Ward we were just saying Johnny Ward's your well this is it I mean, this is I, the other Johnny Ward there's obviously I, the Ferry City Johnny Ward ah, yeah this. Johnny's just got money there yeah. yeah I was sending it to the family group the other night there was a headline. Um, and it was Johnny Ward Weds right and I blocked everything else out and the sister was like you've got to give me a bit more information here <laughs> the actual headline was uh, Fair City and Love Hate Actor Johnny Ward Weds Stunning Bride Brenda Murphy but that bit you know was left out but um, Johnny Ward Weds there's a lot of Johnny Wards out there yeah, yeah, yeah a lot of famous go. ones absolutely yeah. there's a geezer that does um, travels around the world as well he's very well known like he's Irish and he's a world explorer so he's number three of the list yeah. right do you, are you number one in the Google search oh, I, oh, you have oh to yeah. Be. yeah you yeah, have yeah, to be absolutely. you're omnipresent yeah. by this yeah. stage you're everywhere there's a few Johnny Love, anyway. love hate, you know. Yeah, love hate. Yeah, there you go. Uh, how, how difficult was the? You had to be there selections for you because it stresses a lot of our, our guests out. I have to say, Eric, it was it was it was very difficult because um, you know I've been to, I'm a big sports fan. I go, I go to a lot of sporting events, but then when you're told, yeah, but is there a performance from an individual? That really kind of puts the, the nerves on you um, and I had to really dig deep into the memory bank because I forget a lot of the matches I've been at. I know the results, but I can't remember who played particularly yeah. well that day. Um, there might be substances involved, you know, <laughs> which would explain <laughs> that, you know. But, League um, of Ireland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, it, yeah, it was, it, but also it was great as well. It was, it, was, it, was, it was almost therapeutic going back into the memory bank and looking up and going, oh yeah, I was at that match. And then remembering and things start to come back and I'm even going back in through my phone and seeing old photographs and videos from, yeah. from said matches, like, you know. So, uh, although it was, it was tough, uh, I got there in the end, and it's nowhere near as impressive as Conor Morse, by the way. <laughs> Conor Moore with his Madison Square Garden and his masters. <laughs> Tiger Woods just lumped in there, yeah. Ah, yeah and I'm talking about Ali Q with the Aviva. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, they're, still, they're still brilliant picks, I have to say. Uh, you know which one I prefer to be at, by the way, but there we go. <laughs> okay, you know. we, we'll get into them. The first one is, uh, if we get into uh, the order, I guess, of which they happened. May 23rd, 1987, this is Lansdowne Road. Yeah. Oh. Ireland against Brazil, 1-0 victory for Ireland, and, and uh, Liam Brady's performance, I mean, iconic. Oh, it's... You know, and and if you remember back, I mean, I'm showing my age here now, but at the time, uh, Jack, you know, had come on the scene and suddenly we had a team to be proud of, a team that was shaking up Europe, causing fear, very hard to play against. And Brady was kind of kind of pushed to the side a little bit because we played a very direct style of football and he was this maestro in the midfield mm-hmm. who wanted to get it down. And we played, and quite often he was left out of the team. Um, this was May 87, so we were well on our way uh, to, to qualifying for Euro 88. Um, he started that game against Brazil, and I think he's even said to this day that was his favourite international goal. Um, I think he only scored nine or ten goals yeah. for Ireland. It's the disguise as well. well right? oh, it was outrageous, wasn't it? Like you're, you're thinking, because Brady, we've seen him do it so many times, bending, bending balls into the top corner, <laughs> um, and he had the keeper and the whole Brazilian defence convinced that that's what he's going to do, and then just dragged it near post. Eric, what was Lansdowne like in, in days like that? Like, I mean, to, you, you look back on it now, and I, I've a vague, I've a vague recollection of watching it. What was it like? It was, it was, uh, it was great. It was like it's such an, it was like an old style stadium, like really, really old, falling apart, but an amphitheater all the same, and a lot of history. And I remember 
um, as a kid growing up on Saturdays, my dad, uh, especially when the Five the Five Nations was on at the time, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and Wireland playing at Lansdowne Road and going, I'd love to go there sometime. And then, like rugby, I liked rugby, but it was never like something I have to go and see Ireland play rugby. Football was my game, so I, I started going to Irish internationals. Um, I remember I was at Jack Charlton's very first match um, the, against Wales, it was a friendly. Uh, I remember Neville Southall broke his ankle in the in the game. We lost one nil. Ian Rush scored. Um, and Ray Houghton and John Aldridge made a debut and it was like the start of the new era yeah, these names yeah. like these names yeah, yeah. <laughs> 1986 yeah. and you're like it was uh, it was like it's particularly in the Havelock uh, the Havelock road end um, the, the, the noise like there was a big wall of Irish fans and it was real it's like a throwback to the old days like you know like uh, uh, like there's a lot of talk now at the hill mm. in, in, in Crow Park at the moment People don't want seats there. They want to stand there. Absolutely. Eric was like Dublin was very poor as well at that time. Oh, yeah. Ireland was very poor. Yeah. So sport meant something so much more. It was like it was a release. Like it was. The, it was the, like we'd never seen Ireland qualify for a major tournament. We always had uh, plucky teams who almost were unlucky, you know, with dodgy refereeing decisions mm, in yeah. Europe and all that kind of thing. And you're going, will we ever get to a major tournament? And obviously Jack coming in, a controversial decision at the time to appoint him, but Jack coming in changed everything. Um, I still don't think we fully capitalised on the whole Euro 88 Italian 90 thing I still don't think we did you yeah, know? absolutely and we're still yeah. talking about it today like. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah but um, it was a very special time as you say it was it was tough times it was the late 80s uh, Dublin was, was decrepit it was falling apart bleak looking in videos yeah. like it's, it's it's really in the years 35 years after Euro 88 we're talking about um, you know headlines of soccer trying to make a case for itself in the doll I like, know uh, I get five minutes with the Oireachtas after the GAA, GAA go uh, controversy. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's madness. But it was, it was when you, as I say, really in the years you look at the images of, of Dublin back then in the late eighties. It's it is bleak looking. But this, but there's something about this match even when you watch it back. The vibrancy of the yellow jersey. Oh. It, it wasn't the greatest Brazil team probably no. of all eras. But I think uh, Romario made his debut maybe that, yeah. that day. You're very young. They had, had Josimar, uh, who yeah. was such a star at the '86 World Cup, and they had Muller. Yeah. who was another star of the 86 World Cup now in fairness the rest of the Brazilian lads I wasn't too familiar with but Romario was on the bench I think he came on yes um, but to say just, sorry that's what I meant to say uh, Romario's debut that's why I picked that <laughs> <match>. <laughs> yeah. what was yeah. his name again <laughs> young lad Romario it was such a great moment for Liam Brady and, and I was thrilled that he had that memory to take away you know his favourite goal for Ireland is scoring against the most iconic team on the planet let's be honest you watched the know? documentary the, the, the Brady documentary. No, I didn't. Ah, where's that? Yeah, it was brilliant. Ah, it's like was that? What was that? Like two it was months over ago. Visits Tardelli in Italy. Yeah. To yeah where have you? Where have you been? Oh, yeah. wait, he's, no, lo- no, he's yeah, loving yeah. Dylan and he's loving music and all that. Yeah. And yeah. he's like he's still revered in Italian circles, yeah. isn't he? Yeah. Like, the UV fans, Massively. the Inter fans, yeah. Ascoli, Sampdoria, they all hold him in high esteem and uh, and like not many Irish or English players were doing well in Syria. Yeah, it's unheard of. And he left Arsenal and went to Juventus and was and like didn't he win the the, the title? Were the penalty in the last minute, yeah. of the last game, unbelievable stuff. Like, Off the incredible. bench, yeah, yeah. What was your um, what was your Lansdowne Road match day experience? Because everyone had seemed to have their routine going to a match at Lansdowne Road. Even when I was a kid, like before it was changed over, we used to always get the dart from Colester or cousin's house, and you get in and stay for the autographs after the match. But Lansdowne Road means something different to to so many different people. So, what was your your match day routine? Well, back at that um, Brazil game, I wasn't young, I wasn't old enough to drink, 
Um, so I only had Manager two have, yeah. And then an L2 literally stuck in the to the lager, like, stuck to the yeah. lager. Yeah. <laughs> like Delroy and the mother, like, you know, time to go home, school in the morning. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, no, it was, it, it, was, it was very much that. It was, it was the darts. Um, and we would get out really early uh, just to, just to uh, you know, even get a hot dog or a, or a hamburger beside the ground and just soak up the atmosphere and getting so excited. Um, this was way before Sky and all that kind of stuff, you know. Um, and then seeing the team arrive on the bus and, like, we were kids, so exciting on the spot the players going, oh, my yeah. God, there's Maggie Bonner and, <laughs> and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, yeah, so the, the routine obviously changed the older I got, yeah. you know, but back at that game, um, when we were kids going to Lansdowne Road, that was the thing. we get there as early as possible, sample as much of the atmosphere as possible, uh, have burgers, and then get in and pick pick a seat, whatever. You know, I know you were assigned to a seat, but quite often you didn't when you were a kid. You, were, you got away with murder. It's what you wanted. <laughs> I presume the half-and-half half scarves weren't there, because that would be a brilliant one. I, I, oh, I don't, I don't yeah. approve of half-and-half half scarves always, but Ireland-Brazil 87 yeah. would have been a... Yeah. I don't even know if they were on sale back then, probably not. No, I don't think so. I no, don't think so. That, that, that was a thing that came in the 90s with Sky and all that, yeah. the half-and-half half scarves, <laughs> like, you know... But, um, and even the match day programmes and stuff like that'd be a brilliant one to have for, for eighty seven. It really would. Yeah, it's a sad thing. The programmes are really, really struggling at the moment, and it will like if you have a program from like I, I was even looking back at programmes lately. Eric. Like it's like games you can't remember. Was I at that game? And it sparks something. It's like I remember that now, and yeah. just having that match program. This is I'm talking like mid nineties. Yeah. And match programmes are they're, they're beautiful. It'll be sad if they go. Like yeah, for sure. Uh, your second pick, Eric, is is one close enough to your heart, quite literally. Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Uh, Barcelona against Real Madrid a one 0 win for Barca in La Liga in November 2009 yeah this was your what, was you can tell us why this is close to your heart <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was close to my heart I suppose because um, it was my honeymoon um, I got married the day before in Dublin right. to my wife and we went on honeymoon the next day to Barcelona and like when I tell people this they go you didn't know the El Clasico was on that night, the first night of your honeymoon. I was like, no, genuinely, I didn't. And like somebody had said to me, "You're going to Barcelona on your honeymoon, aren't you?" Goes, you know, El Clasico's on. I was like, no way. And I arrived in Barcelona. Even I don't believe that. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> I swear to God, I went. Yeah. And, and we're going to have a romantic time. We're going to have a, such a romantic time. Here's money for shopping. I'm going to match. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so you went by yourself. Yeah, yeah. No, no. He's right. Would you believe? Here's, here's another element to the story. Uh, another comedian, Jason Bourne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Jason was at my wedding. And um, he said to me, "Where are you going on your honeymoon?" This he third wheeled your honeymoon. Listen to this guy. <laughs> he says, "I'm." He says, "The day after your wedding, I fly out to Madrid to do a gig, and then the night after that, I'm in Barcelona doing a gig." And I went, "No way." <laughs> He says, yeah. He says, sure, I'll drop into you. And I says, yeah, great. But my wife and his wife are friends. And then all of a sudden, his wife ended up coming as well. Now, his wife rang my wife going, I can't believe he's after inviting us onto your honeymoon. He's <laughs> 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 the best honeymoon ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but me and the missus had, like, we, we were a long, long time engaged. We had four kids and all um, before we got married. You know, like, we, we basically run out of things to say to each other at that stage. So we were delighted. <laughs> get married. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We were delighted to have another couple of people with us. And, uh and myself and Jason ended up getting tickets for the El Clasico, and it was uh, it was it was just an array of talent: Henri, Messi, Ronaldo. You know the whole shooting match. And I remember Zlatan was on the bench, and he wasn't really in favour with Guardiola. I think he still slags him off. Now. Yeah, oh, he hates him. Hates yeah, him. Yeah, hates yeah, him. Yeah, he calls him an egomaniac or whatever. Um, imagine Zlatan yeah. calling someone an egomaniac. But but I remember. He, look, but just being in that stadium for such an iconic football fixture in the New Camp. I was at the New Camp a couple of years before that on a tour in an empty stadium and I was going oh I'd love to be on a match mm. here sometime and then to go to a match and for that to be El Clasico was just oh. easy to get tickets actually or? Um, it was it was sold out 
But um, I think we paid slightly over the odds. We, we, we were happy to do that, though, you mm. know what I mean? Uh, um, yeah. Now, we were up in the, up in the gods. Uh, yeah, New Camp, you're, you're fairly high up there. Yeah, Camp but New. still, you have a perfect view of the match. Um, what's always funny about the Barcelona-Real Madrid games as well is, like, there's about 20 Real Madrid fans at it. Mm, and right. this little section mm. up in the dogs. Yeah, they put the away <laughs> the fans little in. Little section kind of thing, and you can't hear them, obviously, like, you know, but, I mean, brave lads, 20 of them. Like, we, even before, like, you don't, you don't associate Barca, I suppose, with having... Ultras, mm. do you know sort mm. of way? I, I, I never. <laughs> but my God, when we when we went to the bars before the game, it was it was it was getting tasty. You know what I mean? Yes. There was flares, and they were looking at us as if to say, "Who are you?" And we were going, "Ah, Barca, we love Barca, go on Barca." <laughs> <laughs> you know? um, but the occasion was incredible. Uh, Messi, as I said, Ronaldo, Zlatan came off the bench and banged in a winner. Beautiful goal, actually. And uh, and the place, the noise in the place, it was just insane. Oh. So it's a Danny um, Alves cross. He just come on for Thierry Henry. Yeah. Like, it, it, and he goes over and obviously embraces Guardiola. Oh yeah, yeah. BFF. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was uh, yeah, no, it was it was it was it was just an amazing experience to be there. And I suppose I've always I'm a Man United fan as well um, from from his sins. And uh, and I, I enjoyed Zlatan's time at Man United, and I'll always yeah. hold him in high regard. I never I was never a massive Zlatan fan, but I saw. What he brought when he came to United as well, like you know, he yeah. was people thought he was well past his pump, and maybe he was, but he still came on. And I saw him playing in Tala, and it was funny. It was the one, the one time I enjoyed playing in Tala. Yeah, against um, AC oh, Milan, Chamaco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was the one time during these crappy pandemic games where there was yeah. no noise. It was the one time I enjoyed it. I could hear his Latin during the game shouting at people. And I was like, that's pretty cool. And oh, he, really? Yeah, I could actually hear him, and it was—it was. You, you did feel like was he bollocking people? Uh, it, was, it was more like constructive, but even okay. even they were sort of in awe of him as well, even at his age and the physicality of the yeah. man. Like, and yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Just an aura. Yeah, people talk about certain sports people when they walked into a room. Was it last week's episode? Paul Howard was talking about Alex Higgins when he walked into a room. They could feel the atmosphere of the room changing. I've never been in a room with Zlatan, but I'd imagine the same thing happens. Yeah, where he's just got a distinct aura about him ah just like I mean what a way to go out as well his retirement speech at the Sands here there yeah. and the other fans are slagging Tears. him off and he <laughs> yeah what does he say and he, he says uh, you, you slagging me off at my, um, at my farewell speech is the greatest thing to happen to you all season <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> ah, it's brilliant what a man yeah um, like so cocky that you kind of like and originally when I first heard about him I wanted him to fail but then you, you just kind of grow to respect and love the man yeah so uh, I, I hold Zlatan very highly up there and he was one of my kind of tenuous links he wasn't man of the match in that game, but he got the winning goal. Yeah. And uh, and it was kind of a, a two finger salute to Guardiola, who didn't fancy him at the time, you know. Just doesn't even start, but steals the headline, essentially, yeah, from absolutely. Ronaldo and Messi, who like, a couple of sendings off in that game as well. I was reading there, Lissana Diara was sent off late for a kick and, out on Xavi. And Busquets, I think, was it? Busquets was sent yeah. off earlier in the game as well. Jesus, mm. yeah, so it, the usual. Uh, so uh, nearly half an hour, yeah, Barca were playing with it without a. Without uh, eleven men, so that's right. One yeah. of those brilliant games, that and it was just when and, and Real Madrid had a lot of the ball at that stage, and it was just constant whistling and booing and whistling and booing. You know, when the opposition has yes. the ball, like the noise in the new camp of the booing and whistling was like incredible, incredible. But uh, yeah, just an amazing experience. Yeah. To be there. he definitely had that aura. Paul Howard actually said Alex Higgins and Liam Gallagher had the had that aura. So was that hand similar? Yeah, to yeah. Higgins and Gallagher would be more sort of in common than Higgins and Latan. I would have thought like this. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, yeah. Higgins and Gallagher would probably be like. Your third pick, Eric, is uh, is June sixth, twenty fifteen. Andres Iniesta, Barcelona oh. Juve. I yeah. mean, what a baller! The greatest, yeah, like, oh, like ridiculous. Like, like everyone talks about Messi, and rightly so. The go, um, 
and I was I was firmly in Ronaldo's camp for many many years until he tainted his legacy when he came back to us there mm. so I'm a Messi fan now but Iniesta <laughs> to me was only maybe barely fractionally less than Messi I think you could say yeah. he's the only when he, he won man of the match in that Champions League final and to that point he was the only player to have won man of the match in the World Cup final the European Championship final and the Champions League final yeah at that time now I'm sure maybe Messi may have done that with Copa Libertadores you know what I mean since then yes um, but he was the first person to have won like the Holy Trinity like the European Championship final yeah. World Cup final and the Champions League final man of the match performances and it was an amazing occasion being at the final I was with a sponsor it was I, I, I'm going to declare that right now in case I have to go in front of a committee um, <laughs> on the record, are you listening on the record. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, I was with sponsors and um, it was an amazing day in Berlin but look we, we went out there a couple of days early we had access to the training so we were in the Olympic Stadium in Berlin watching Juve train and then we went back a couple of hours later watching Barca training to see yes. Messi training see Pogba Pirlo all these people training it's incredible oh, you know and on the day of the uh, of the final there was a, a pub quiz all right, for the corporate people, and the quiz master was Marco Van Basten. Ah, right? oh, lads! He's like, I, mean, I was like, oh my god, Marco Van Basten's our quiz master. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I, I, I had heard about it. I had heard about it prior to that, and me being the super Bose man I am, I brought Bose jersey with me and gave it to him. And oh, presented brilliant. it to him, and he held it up and he said, "Just like Milan." Absolutely, Marco. Yeah, and of course, Bose had it all over the social media. Marco Van Basten is a Bose fan. <laughs> yeah, the usual. It's like the male fans yeah. just throw the jersey at the Pope or whoever is coming. Yeah. Like, get the photograph. Oh, that's amazing. But, um, and then going into the to, to the game itself, and my God, the best seats in the house. Like I still pinch myself when I think how lucky I was to be there and experience it, and the wall is sound to the left from the uh, Barca fans and then to the right this black and white wall of sound from Juve it was incredible like you think of Champions League finals and it is mostly sponsors but it seemed to me at that final mm. a lot of fans got their hands on tickets and there was a real feverish atmosphere in, yeah. in, 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 the, in the stadium like he like t- 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 talk about the heartbeat of a team as well the way he played <sighs> like like just never I not I think it was a rare thing I think you'd have to dig deep into Google and YouTube to find a misplaced pass from Iniesta or a miscontrol yeah. you know what I mean he was just perfect and a buzz of activity like what's it? he scored a winning goal in the World Cup final against Holland um, 10 yeah like I mean that even that game the, the, that Champions League final an array of stars and yet he stood out as the best player on the park and it was just a privilege to be there Yeah, and I won that pub quiz by the way did you? <laughs> is that a lie? no it's the truth really? and, what, and do you know what the prize was? a signed jersey from Iniesta ah oh. So you want it, You have a signed jersey, Vinesta. I do, and it's still in my wardrobe at home, framed. No, and I didn't even get one of them. What's that? You know the authenticity kind of search. Yeah, authenticity. I was just yeah. Giving, like I went, arrived at the stadium. We'd be doing the pub quiz that day, and the corporate person came up to me and said, "Eric, that pub quiz today." I went, "Yeah, yeah, you won." I went, "What? You won?" I said, oh, yeah, of course I did. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and I said, "What's the prize?" And he, he gave me this box, and, and, and I opened it up, and it was signed by Anders in yesterday. Amazing. Oh, and Jesus. Like, what's oh he up to God. nowadays? Actually, he's in Japan or something, isn't he? Uh, Unless you research that one. Yeah. It was funny. I I, um, I remember going to. Well, I was walking the Camino, Camino de Santiago, in 2012. So this is obviously the tail tail end of that those three amazing major European or major championships for, for that Spanish team and I, I don't know what I expected over there but I expected like Messi's face to be everywhere in, in Spain or whatever even but Iniesta's face even just in, in little shops like him licking an ice cream or whatever like just he was sponsoring everything yeah, he was the poster mm. boy wasn't he he yeah. was the yeah. poster boy yeah. but, it, but when you think back now it's no surprise because 
Everyone appreciated how good he was. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think even Messi. I think Messi's on record as saying probably the best player he's ever played with. Yeah, five you know. foot seven as well. Like yeah. the scores yes. show, like a pocket dynamo and unbelievable fitness levels as mm. well. He just never stopped. Yeah, like, it was the same pace from the first minute to the last. Unbelievable football and a, an absolute privilege to witness that. Uh, and what a game! Like I mean, the game itself was was a brilliant game. Like uh, uh, what's his name? The Rakitic scored after like four or five minutes. Yeah. But then one nil up, and then uh, and you're thinking, ah, this is going to be a slaughter. Uh, but fair play to the Juventus they, they, they held firm I think it was Morata equalised then second yeah. half um, and then Suarez there was a lot of subplots in that game as well mm. it was the first time Suarez came up against Evra since the non-handshake oh, right. wow. at Old Trafford you know so and uh, and, and Evra was like I think Evra had said you know oh, no I'll shake his hand I will I'll rise above and I'll shake his hand I think they did shake hands kind right. of like, you know um, but um, yeah just and obviously and Chiellini was injured for the final and you know he'd been bitten by Suarez before so right <laughs> once yeah. bitten and all that yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah. <laughs> and he only got injured like about three four days before the final and I think it was when he realised Suarez was playing oh there's, there goes the hammer yeah yeah yeah, yeah. of course he'd been bitten by him as well yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so it was uh, yeah and, and Suarez got a Neymar scored at the end that's kick of the game yeah an amazing, an amazing game. Barca take the lead after only three minutes and twenty-two seconds. Like just the speed of it, um, and it was that uh, Iniesta was involved in that in that opening move. Unbelievable awareness, and that, that I think that's the word that that is always used with Iniesta was awareness. Him yeah. and Javi like, as well were kind of. He just uh, Colin just sent on there. He's just ended up in. He's finished up in Japan, and uh, I see he donated um, a lot of money to um, their earthquake fund in. What was that? A few year, two, three years ago as well. So um, yeah. yeah, he's just he's probably just finished now, pretty much, unless yeah. he goes to Saudi, which hopefully you mentioned Javi there as well. That was his. He came on. Uh, we have 15 minutes to go I think and that was his last ever appearance for Barcelona wow yeah. so another so many subplots subplot there yeah <laughs> I, I, I was always torn between which of them I like more Xavi or Iniesta yeah. so like I was just like just that literally running a game like running a game and that's they they made football beautiful in that Barca team to be fair they, like they broke my heart as a Manchester United fan those Champions League finals where I think we touched the ball three times in two matches yeah you know they just we just couldn't get the ball off the ball Bose used to have when Bose played Bordeaux back in the oh. this early 90s Zidane Zidane was playing the Bose fans chant was we'll get the ball in a minute yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. like and, and they had a, I think Dugarie they had an insane team and the Bose fans were like yeah. are we going to get the ball again like, no, like, yeah. Yeah. but it was like that for Man United in the Champions League final in Rome and then in Wembley um, they absolutely destroyed us and at the, the heart of that was Iniesta and Xavi you know just, running the show yeah absolutely tearing it up it was mad that Carlos Tevez is on that Juventus team yeah. playing that day alongside Patrice Everton. I know the two of them were like really, really close friends. I think Parchi Sung was the third member of that That's little right, trio yeah. when they were United. I think I remember ever saying he was far from impressed with Tevez when he joins Man City eventually. But for them to have linked up at, at Juventus as well, like such a... I forgot Tevez was on that Juve team as well. Yeah, yeah, you forget. Like, I mean, it was a really strong Juve team as well. Like, and Pogba was before Pogba, I think... Found Instagram as well. Or <laughs> the barbershop. The footballer. Yeah, yeah. 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 the barbershop as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was very impressed, impressive on the day as well. There was, ah, there was so many. Like Pirlo watching him. Like it's just, ah, you have to pinch yourself just watching these players in front of you. Going, I can't believe I'm here witnessing this. Yeah. Um, but a, a momentous night um, and one I'll, I'll never forget. Yeah, in the Olympia Stadion in uh, in Berlin. Your penultimate pick, Eric, August third, twenty twenty one. This is Ali Coot, oh, Bohemians, Aviva Stadium. It's, yeah. it's Pauk, isn't it? That's the way the Pauk. Pauk yeah. yeah. Pauk at the time, um, like it, this this match, I, I suppose it, it was a it was a beautiful summer for Bowes fans, and also an awkward summer because it was in the height of COVID, 
Yeah, um, and eight thousand wasn't it? Six and eight thousand. Six thousand for the first game, and then eight thousand, and then nine thousand. I think for the third game. But the first two games at the Aviva, remember beautiful sunny evenings. We played Starland from Iceland three 0 We played did along here playing Pat. They beat Pats last night. Yeah, yeah. Beat them three 0 um, I was at the two of them games, and you, yeah. you know the walk down the canal see all these Bose fans like all wearing Bose jerseys it was really special even yeah. as a Goy United fan to see that somewhere yeah and amazing and, and there was also a sense of oh my god we're out again in a stadium mm. you know mm. we're, 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 we're like friends it. again yeah. kind of thing and, and there, was, there was a real added excitement to it. And, and it was almost like it was a bonus if we got something out of the game. It's just great to be here. Look at us in the Aviva. I, I'd gone to FAI Cup finals watching other clubs and dreaming of the day that Bowes ever turned out at the Aviva, mm. you know. Yes. And we got there through Europe and uh, the, the the culmination of those three games, obviously coming up against Powell, who had like a wage bill of 50 million. Uh, you know, Kagawa. Shinji Kagawa playing, yeah. Kagawa was playing, like, you know, Nelson Oliveira, the Portuguese uh, centre-forward was playing for them, like, you know. And we were expected to get a hiding. Um, and we were like, ah, well, listen, we got this far, let's go out and enjoy it. And then, like, we scored in the first half. I remember Georgie Kelly, bullying one of their defenders and laying the ball back in Ali Q, buried it. And we were all in dreamland. We're like, oh, my God, I can't believe this has happened. I can't believe this has happened. Because they missed a chance after, like, three or four minutes. Great chance. should have scored. Great chance, yeah. Should have scored. And uh, when he missed it, we all kind of went, oh, hang on. Maybe yeah, he's fully yeah. on it. Like, you, you never know. know. And then we went at them and just caused them problems and went 1-0 up. And could have been 2-3 up by half-time. Uh, and then we were like, all right, second half. They're going to regroup now at half-time. And then the, the free kick at the corner. Uh, well worked routine, I have to say. Uh, <laughs> Ross Tooney made the the, the 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 run, took the defender away. Ball was played back to Ali Q. Ali Q smashed it. Keeper made a balls with this it. Is the second goal. The keeper, yeah, the keeper, yeah, the keeper was, doesn't yeah, come. He made an absolute balls. But bit of a Massimo Taibi moment there. For yeah, the well, yeah, it was terrible. Yeah, I remember. I remember. I was standing at the back of the goal, behind the goal that they scored, and I was standing with PJ and PJ Gallagher. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the 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 new recent Bowes convert. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I remember the two of us just looked at each other. As in just disbelief. Is, it, is, this, is this really happening? Yeah, yeah. Tuning up against Powell. And there's a video somebody had, I, I, I must dig it out somewhere, but there's a video someone had. They were filming their dad, but behind their dad is me and PJ. And we're looking at each other. And for some reason, I just took off, sprinting down the, <laughs> down the seats into the main Bose area and just diving onto a load of Bose fans. <laughs> and then all the stewards are like, social distancing, social distancing. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. It's off too, and they'll up against Powell. <laughs> Who <laughs> cares? Social distancing. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, they, they, they went on and scored uh, to make it 2-1, and, 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 and ultimately we got knocked out in the second leg. But just a very, very special night. Um, and Ali Q. Uh, was one of many Bowers players who was outstanding, but because he got the two goals, uh, he was my man of the match, my, yeah. my my big performance that night. You know, always took to Lansdowne Road that summer. Like they won three in a row there. They didn't. They scored what? So two three nils, I think, off yeah. the top of my head. So they won eight one in aggregate. Their three games, and there was something about them. They looked so at home yeah. in, in the Aviva Stadium. And um, the, the other thing as well, they lost the second leg two nil. Keith Ward missed oh, unbelievable chance. Yeah. Now, they didn't really perform second leg, but Keith Ward missed a chance. He'd score ninety nine times yeah. of a yeah. To, to equalise against Pauk like yeah. Pauk um, so that was an amazing summer yeah, it, was, it was incredible and uh, he, he, like Keith Ward you mentioned like he's like I, I love Wardy like he's, mm. I think he's one of the great characters in the League of Ireland and uh, just a, a natural enter- I, watch, I love watching him play even though you know he plays with Dundalk now yeah, um, yeah, yeah. he was such a great character great person in the dressing room um, and you know he still when people talk to him about that miss he's like oh I know, I know. And, like of all the players he wanted to fall to it's him because yeah. of his technicality you know and he just skewed it wide like you know but sure 
I, I still forgive him, even though he missed the penalty for us in the cup final as well. But anyway, Ward, he still love you. Still love you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> for, for a gritted teeth there, yeah, yeah. I, I wonder how many times we can say the word poke. It's fun to say uh, how many times we can say it, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> looking at their... So they had reached the group stages of the Europa League in eight of the previous 11 seasons. Yeah. And if you look, so they were ranked 77th by UEFA. The five teams below them in the rankings were five Spanish teams, actually. Granada, Real Sociedad, Espanyol, Betis and Bilbao. And the five teams above them West Ham, Southampton, Everton, Burnley, and Wolves. Wow! So, like, I mean, it shows where they were. Yeah. The, the first I ever heard of Pauk was 2011. They were drawn the same group: Shamrock Rovers and Europa yeah. League. And yeah. Rovers, I can't remember that, but I think Rovers scored over there. But the atmosphere at the ground, I was just watching on telly, it was like, I've never seen anything like this. It's it's part of what's technically South Macedonia in their head, so it's Thessalonica, which is northern Greece. And I just spent years in looking up Pauk on YouTube and their fans. They're utterly insane, like, oh, off yeah. the charts. And that was, the, like, I, I'd love to go to, it's, it's one of my ambitions to go to a game there, but Pauk fans, if you're ever bored, look them up on YouTube, like, off the wall stuff, like, and they've, the rhythm of their songs and everything, and they're really, like, kind of... um. Um, it's it's just it's passion on steroids like Pauk fans amazing I was, I was talking to Philly McMahon very recently uh, about that game mm. in, in, in Greece and uh, he said like I mean Philly obviously is used to pack crow packs and mm. all that in his new and the noise yeah. he said he walked out on that stadium that day uh, you know the players going out to have a look at the pitch he said the stadium was already like there, there and was already full yeah. and the chanting and the, the flares and all were going off and he said it was so intimidating. Mm. Like even for Philly McMahon to say that, like he looked to the right and went, "Whoa, that's a that's a cauldron right there." Like fever pitch. And he was like, they they, they were at pains to tell the away official that they needed a water break, but you could only get a water break if the temperature was below thirty two degrees, and it was thirty three degrees. Right. And he kept looking at the stadium clock. And then a drop by the green. They ran over to him. Look, 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 look. We have to have a water break. We have to have a water break. So <laughs> they got the water break in. So, uh, but it didn't help. They still got still got yeah. beaten. Yeah, that uh, the Shamrock Rovers. They they lost two one over at Park. Carl Shepherd scored a, Shepherd, a bullet yeah. header from a free kick. Yeah, uh, just inside the box. So yeah, two one. Uh, but yeah, Park, great memories for both. Oh, really? Remember and, and Rovers. Rovers. Forget about that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Definitely gritted teeth talking about Rovers. Hundred uh, percent. Your last pick, Eric, is probably the most recent pick yeah. we've ever had for anyone on a, on this slot. It was July second of this year. So we were talking, what, 11 days ago? James McCarthy's performance for the dubs against Mayo. Yeah, um, I, I, the reason I picked up, being at a lot of Dublin matches mm. over the years, and, uh, and, and back in the bad old days as well, not just on the bandwagon, by the way, <laughs> back in the bad old days. Actually, the very, very first match, would you believe, that I went to see Dublin was the 1983 All-Ireland semi-final, and it was a draw. It was Dublin-Cork, and Barney Rock scored a last-minute goal to equalise for the dubs. Did Galway in the final? Yeah, yeah. Three players sent off. 14, 14, 14, 14, 14, 14, 14, 14, um, and I went with Jason Sherlock because me and Jason Sherlock grew up on the same road together. He was on the yeah, show today. He was on the show like an hour ago. That's Jason bad. Was yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He, was oh on, he was on Zoom. Yeah. Paul Finley. We were previewing Dublin Monaghan this weekend. We had Paul Finley in studio and, and Joe on the line. So oh, there you well, go. That's same mad. show. Me and Jay. Yeah, me and Jay grew up together on the same road in uh, in Finglas. And uh, his dad was mad into Gat and used to bring Jay. And then one day he said, "Do you want to come?" So I went with him. So my first Dublin match was with Jason Sherlock and his right. uncle. Yeah, yeah. Show was just <laughs> full like circle. Full. That's amazing. <laughs> it's Inception now. It's, it's great. <laughs> show within a show. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, I've been to a lot of Dublin matches over the years, um, and I suppose the reason I picked James in the very last match against Mayo was like he made his debut in 2011. I think the the, the year when Cluxton. Mm. Scored that. that yeah. like he made his debut that year, and ever since I think he was he's won eight All Irelands in that time, eight All Irelands in that time. And James, I've met a few times as well. He's like the most unassuming, quietest, humblest fella mm. you would ever meet. Um, but it was a privilege to see that performance uh, a couple of weeks ago against Mayo in the quarterfinals, particularly the second half. Um, 
that 15 minute 20 minute spell uh, but it was all driven by McCarthy yes like from the throw in he wins the ball breaks boom point and there's a momentum there already and he's, he's to me he's the happy of, of, of Dublin the Dublin GA team like what is he 33 now 33 yeah and he doesn't show any signs, signs of slowing down 14th season 14th mm. season like, it's incredible that's an endearing that part of this Dublin team like the lads like Cluxton and we mentioned the other lads as well Simons like that are still going strong and there is that like as as you get older and I think it's in all of us you really admire the lad who's like coming to the end but he's still performing and you're like I don't know does something to your heart yes totally and as I said I've been fortunate enough to meet him a couple of times and I know how humble he is I know how 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 hurt and disappointed he is when when Dublin lose a game mm. um, and you know he gets it's the only time you'll ever see him getting a little bit angry and determined like you know he says oh no we'll you know we'll put that right the next day and, and invariably he does what did he make of you what do you make of me? Yeah. I'm uh, James, a Ballymun man. I'm a Ballymun man myself. Yeah. <laughs> so we, uh, we 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 get on well. I, I remember having to do. Um, I had to do a gig for the Dublin squad um, at that training centre. Right, Bernard, remember Bernard Dunn? Bernard Dunn was yeah, involved yeah. in the in the Dublin backroom team. And he rings me and he goes, "Eric, will you do a gig for the squad?" And I was like, "Yeah, all right, yeah, okay." Um, now I'd done a couple of gigs for various Dublin footballers and their own GA clubs. So Kevin McManaman and I did the St Jude's gig. Yes. Or Michael Darren McCauley did the Ballyboden. I did the Ballyboden St End- Enders gig before their All Ireland Club final, and they won. So I take credit for that. Yeah. It's <laughs> and, uh, Full so credit. I was brought down to the Dublin training centre, and it was a real. It was like a military-run operation, you know. I had to arrive at a certain time, and then Bernard goes, don't get out of your car, Eric. I'll give you the ability to get out of your car. And we're like, what the fuck? Jesus you know? Christ. So he goes, go, go, go. I'm like, what the, what the <laughs> get out of my car? And I'm walking up, and then Jim Gavin comes out, and I'm like, oh, how are you, Jim? How are you, Eric? How's it going? Thanks very much for coming. <laughs> you know, very serious and all that. And then he gives me a tour of the, the training centre, and inside the dressing room, they've all these big pictures of... Jimmy Keaveney and Dublin legends from Tommy Hanahall yeah, yeah. from the past and big food spread from the gourmet food parlour it was like a really really professionally run operation and I'm still thinking to myself where are we doing this gig <laughs> is this going to be in the showers or what? <laughs> what's going on and then I was led outside and like there's a big grass hill and the Dublin squad had just finished training they'd all had their showers and they all came out and sat on the hill and I'm at the bottom of the hill and I'm going you want me to do the gig here and they were like yeah so I'm thinking this has got to be impossible like you know yeah, like yeah. there's this open sky here with comedy you need a roof or something like, yeah, you know, to yeah. feel the, the, the noise um, but luckily as I said I knew a couple of the, the, the Dublin players like James as well and uh, and Philly was there as well so Were what got nervous? them on site I was incredibly nervous because like you're looking at these fellas who you hold up in high esteem you're like you're idols almost like yeah. you know literally looking up as well yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah for sure <laughs> and I could like this is the, the measure of the character of some of the Dublin lads some of the Dublin lads knew I was feeling a bit nervous. They could tell I was a bit nervous. And uh, I remember Philly and uh, and Kevin McManum coming over and going, Eric, just go out and do your thing. It's grand. That'll have to be grand. I was going, all right, right nice one, that's nice one. Lad. <laughs> so what I did was I started off by slagging off Jim Gavin. <laughs> and they, all, they were like, it was like a load of school pupils and the teachers getting slagged off and they're all like that. <laughs> yeah, trying to conceal like it. Yeah, so yeah, that yeah. got them on side straight away. <laughs> I think Jim had done an interview a week before. I think they'd beaten... Westmead by about 26 points and he said you know you know that wasn't an easy game by any means <laughs> he, said, he said Westmead are still a really good team like you know they just, we just got them on a bad day Do me a favour so, yeah. so I said I used that as a reference I said I was listening to Jim's interview after that 26 point against Westmead and uh, I said so I know that if this gig, gig goes tits up Jim Gavin go, well he's still a really good comedian he just, he just had a bad day like, you know what I mean? was Jim there actually then he was he, yeah, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. he gave me his hat 
No, you know, the baseball cap. He gave me his hat as a, as a souvenir. Brilliant. I still have it. Um, but it doesn't fit me. My head's huge. Listen, there are brilliant picks. Eric, yeah, I know it's not, not an easy one to pick, but but really appreciate you coming in. Oh, thanks uh, for having it's me. It's good, good to remember some uh, some good sporting memories. I mean, brilliant. It's, uh, Big so. fan of the show. It's great to be here. Thanks. Brilliant stuff. We'll get a picture afterwards with the, the Dublin bus jersey as well. <laughs> Meshing into the back of the studio. Yeah. Uh, brilliant stuff. Eric Lunner, Johnny, great stuff as always. Thanks Here's for, my man. for all your work. 9.39am on Thursday morning's O2B AM. Tomorrow's show, by the way, Ashling O'Reilly will join myself in studio. We'll have a build-up to the second All-Ireland Football semi-final, Kerry versus Derry. Um, we're going to have Paddy Bradley on the show. We'll have Mike Frank Russell as well. Uh, Talton Cup final preview as well. Another head-to-head for Meath versus Down. Brian Dowling, who recently left his role as the Kilkenny Camogie boss. We'll have the Irish Olympian Louise Shanahan and plenty more besides. Right now, we'll have Darren O'Sullivan and Colin Boyle previewing the weekend's football. Have a thoughtful Thursday. OTB AM The Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball.